two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not limited to talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song, but hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. They are divided For equal sequel Hate and love they fight it I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive a big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is July 25th, 2021. My name is Zach Weber, and joining me today is the one only true cyclist of Virginia Zenger. Oh, it, I'm, I'm honored to be the true cyclist. You're the only cyclist, Zenger, I know. I, no, there's other ones. I saw them. They wave that at me. Lies, deception. <laughs> Um, and we have premier and Sir Canadian collector joke here, Chris Cordius. Hey, I went to the first toy show since it's been allowed today, so my reputation is earned. Um, Canada is really slow at opening up compared to you guys. So, do the rankings see. reset now that they have a new like things are opening? Like, do, did you have a chance to get to number well, one today? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, I can't officially talk about it yet, but because oh, okay. because of the lockdown. <laughs> took like two years some of the higher ranking collectors have actually died in the last two years so yeah i've gone up because of that they didn't die from the coronavirus though it's okay, <laughs> okay. the shelves got too heavy and fell on them of course <laughs> <laughs> oh god and we have our bard of vader rob Yes, thank you for having me back for a topic that is probably way out of my depth. <laughs> and last but not least, Joe Yazo. Hey, how you doing? Oh, boy. Alrighty, everybody. We are here to talk Star Wars nonsense. Um, hopefully Star Wars nonsense. There'll be all sorts of tangential topics related here. Um, but before we get started, I think one of the things I have, we have to talk about considering our affinity for the 2003 micro-series yeah, Disney making Disney making repackaged figures, man. Like God, Lucasfilm is pouring marketing dollars, kinda, into uh, something that even Lucas didn't want remembered. So uh, I'm kind of curious. Like, like I'll let Zenger like go first, but then I'm kind of fascinated as to what Chris's like thoughts are on this. Um, I I mean I'm excited for this. I I can't wait. Um. I guess I want to use this point to be reminding everyone that you can check out Zing Wars for us eventually covering oh, volume two. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> Zing Wars nonsense. No, it doesn't exist. No, Zing Wars is a lie. It's fake news. Perfect. Um, awesome. Lies. Don't listen to it. Um, no, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for this. Like maybe a resurgence is in order. Maybe, maybe this is the beginning. This is the first step in a resurgence for the superior series anyways yeah that, yes i agree with the latter half of that statement um chris porteous I, and that i know you and i love reading the tea leaves of uh, merchandise reveals what is your take on this were you surprised by this at all are these walmart exclusives only yes like, yes oh walmart. god dang it i gotta go I into know. there and be near people 
to 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 if it makes you feel any better the pre-order went up but it did not go up in canada so i haven't even had the opportunity to pretend to be interested in these yet um you know it's uh it's it, like it's is it cool that they're referencing that series yes it but these are all like i i think it's accurate to say like all of these figures are about 10 years old and they're basically being re, re mild paint adjustments so what you're saying is somebody opened a crate somewhere at kenner and was like oh crap we got a ton of these <laughs> i love that so you still think it's actually kenner that's great <laughs> um it hasn't been kenner since about 1999 I'm, I'm reading what's on here and that might have been true too then yeah what there's i on mean the box they do use the logo on the box but that's because hasbro bought kenner like 20 some years ago but um yeah so i don't know like it's cool they're using those images but like the figures obviously look nothing like the animated show they're repackaging figures that were part of different lines I think the the two clone troopers are the most interesting because they at least changed the paint scheme on the helmet to like match the 2003 series. So it actually sort of those two sort of look like they're from the, the cartoon, whereas like the Ayla Secura figure, like that's an awesome figure if you didn't have the previous vintage collection version. I'm sure yeah, it has face printing now, so it probably looks better than it ever did, but it looks really weird next to the incredibly simplistic cartoon drawing of her on the card back you know, like in my opinion but but my thing is this like i don't understand once again why it says arc trooper captain he has a name his <sighs> name was captain fordo yeah they probably considered that like way too deep of a cut like <laughs> because it's like 19 years old and and uh is it when is yep. like when yep. was his Good name God. ever it's when never was said. his name ever it, said? It was, it's not it was said. Never yeah. said. Wait, he just, okay, on, on that note, on that note, I know this is from a previous discussion I was not involved in. Was Slave One ever spoken out loud in the series? No. Are, See? are we sure are we sure it wasn't in Clone Wars, though? Because I feel like it was. In like uh, mid Clone Wars. Because it gets a lot it gets a lot of uh screen time, like mid Clone Wars with the uh Yeah, the, yeah, it was Kid yeah. Boba Fett. Yeah. I, well, I was about to say I'm I'm going with continuity of the movies because God knows what they're going to cut out anymore. Anyways, on another topic for today, what they're going to cut out of the um, sequel trilogy. But yeah, but yeah, yes. Yeah, so I don't I don't want to draw it out. Like it's cool they're referencing it. Apparently they're doing some black series ones as well, which Ooh. might have some some changes. And but um and those they're going to have packaging reminiscent of like one of the two 2003 sort of Gandhi packages. Actually I'm kind of curious though, like, is it going to reference the Gendy packaging or is it going to reference the like faux live action packaging? Well, that's the real, that's the question. Nobody right? knows. Because, they, they have well, dead. Which one? There's no good answer because the vintage collection references the Gendy stuff, but the figures look fully realistic. So they, it should, like the Black Series one should be the other, the other line probably if, since they're not changing the figures much at all. But uh, they'll pro I'm guessing uh, double down on Gandhi for consistency, if I had to guess. I guess. Well, like I said, like when I saw that these were like announced, I was I was kind of like, okay, putting aside the like repacks of Ayla, Luminara, and Barris. It's all um, of them, but yeah. Yeah. Um, like putting those aside, like I was shocked by the clone troop, like the arc troopers, because think about it, that was our first introduction to like arc troopers on like a mainstream level. And then like 
they announced them, like StarWars.com, and then they just went up for pre-order on Walmart.com the very next day. And they the first time they went live, like at 10 a.m., I missed out on them, and I was like mad. And then like they like the three and three quarter went back up again around like one. I was able to get I was able to get the art troopers, which is all I was I cared about. I wasn't able to get any of the black series. Um, but like everything else that we've kind of talked about on this podcast, like if they're doing this, and this is like what now? Two and a half months after uh Gendy like like debuted on Disney Plus, that has to mean that the numbers for that must wait, be pretty wait, good. Wait. If this is doing well, then that means there's a definite correlation with That's oh my right. god, Star Wars Star Wars D two is confirmed. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, but I mean what but what's your but what's your best case scenario? Like for what? <laughs> like like if like if they're actually realizing there's like some like I don't think they're doing. I don't think they're up to anything. I, that, the fiftieth anniversary I, line has been referencing so many random things. Like but, throw but, is, but this is okay. But this is the thing though, is that like <gasps> every time they pour money into something like this, or like the fact that like the announcement for this didn't come from like again, th- like Yak Face didn't find this in like a URL search. This was announced with no like pre like lead up to it, like most toy things are. The fact that this came from StarWars.com lends to the notion of, like, Disney Lucasfilm is proud of this. They want people – because for a while, it was, like, the headline on, like, the landing page of StarWars.com, even if it was only for, like, a day, which means they were trying to get some attention for this, Um, whether it be a slow news day or not. I – like I said, I I think there must – the numbers must have been there. You do not get this – as something they're pouring attention. Remember, there's a reason why there's been no further Rise of Skywalker merchandise and why you're getting this instead. Like, think about that. You have a, the, the quote-unquote final Star Wars film that pretty much just died merchandise-wise after December 2019. And then for a show that's 18 years old is getting repackaged merchandise. And it's being hyped up as much as Lucasfilm hypes up anything in the contemporary era. And that's just, to me, telling. That means they, they, whatever numbers they got at Disney Plus, they are very happy with. And not just Lucas, maybe Disney at large. Like I said, I think it's a good thing. Mm. I wouldn't be, I'm just throwing it out there. Considering that most of what, like, like think about it. Gendy has been, like, a studio man for Sony now for, what, almost a decade with the Hotel Transylvania films? Um, also, I he has Primal, too. Sure, but that's more. That, that's not. But that's very much a specific like like demographic. It's not like is why is something like Hotel Transylvania. I wouldn't be throwing it out there, like, considering that Disney Plus is now like the sole medium for Star Wars content. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get some announcement, depending on again, however the winds turn. It might be premature to even say something like this, even on a speculative level. I wouldn't be surprised if we get some announcement that Gendy comes back into the fold for another animated series. And I think a lot of it is contingent on how successful Visions is. I think if Visions is is a successful, um, whatever you want to call it, like media launch, I think there's a very real possibility based on the fact that they're they're reissuing toys with even like you said, like they're doing live action versions of like Luminara, Ayla, and Barris, and they're using Gendy imagery. I think if if the plans align, I could see Gendy being brought back into the fold. 
To see I him on the reason why I, I, I remember remember Lucas wanted Gendy to do the 2008 series with him, and Gendy told him like no, like Gendy wasn't didn't want, want any like want no parts of that level of like this like like micromanaging. Yeah. yeah, but this sort of like ties into a little bit what we're eventually going to talk about here, which is like eventually what would what would it mean to bring a post Hotel Transylvania Gendy into Star Wars at this point in time with Action. the current management? What would that mean? What would that be? Would it would it do anything for you at this point in time? They'd be able to put wolves and everything. I mean, at least there's that. As long as you can do that, I think they're good. Well, you're getting these new toys released because Disney owns the property now. They actually have it on Disney Plus. Of course, they're going to make they're going to make action figures of it. And the reason why they're not making them in the style of the animated series is because what person would want a different type of figure than the ones that they already have? Um, well, the kids who got the figures based on the actual Gendy cartoon in 2003, which are awesome and look like the cartoon. And if I were a fan of the Gendy, it, it has no articulation. Would, yeah. Yeah. That's fine Duh. because that's fine. Cause you put them on a shelf and you look at them and bask in their glory. But um, as you should, but, yeah. But what I'm, you know, what I'm saying is like, if you if you're actually like a religious zealot for the Gandhi Clone Wars, you should be much more interested in finishing up your collection of those figures than these new ones, in my opinion. But how much do those Gandhi figures go for? Not much more than the retail price of of these new ones. A little bit more. But also, okay. The only thing about eBay. Yeah, not. I mean, not. They're not super. They're they're not like all that stuff is getting desirable, but they're not like ridiculously desirable. Like, like the like the like um legacy uh series or like the comic packs. Like they're not like crazy overpriced because a lot of it is people don't like that they barely have articulation, but they look like the cartoon. Fun fact: I gave all my Gendy figures to Zenger. Yep. Yep. Wow. I that's that's have awesome. I'm in the old office, and I need to move them to the new office. But I think, but like, look at even the like I said. I promise, folks, we'll get to the actual topic at hand. But just I want to mention that, like, with that blue arc trooper, we never even got that like in any of the OG lines. Like, right, Chris? Like, we never got the blue arc trooper with like the skirt. We never got like. Oh, that's in, fine, like, but what? like, you got so much though. Like, I think I posted in the in the Knights of Vader group not long ago. Like. Like I picked up like that one clone who's wearing a poncho with mud all over him. Like oh, that's featured yeah. for like ten seconds. <laughs> like you got a lot from that series. Like whether it was like realistic stylized or the cartoon one. And like there like um in the and and in the uh so that 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 scene where Yoda's like rotting like a purple tauntaun thing, I think it's called they Kaiba. Yeah, there you go. They made that in the legacy series, like realistic style. Like that is like, you're never going to get anything that audacious again from Hasbro. So like, go ahead and do yourself a favor and find Yoda riding the Kaibuck from like 2009 or whatever the heck it was and get that because it's kind of like the E font Mon figure. It's like, they're, it's like so outrageous and silly that they're never going to get back to that point ever again. So like I like that th I like that they're bringing it up again. I think there is an audience for it. I think people really like that stuff and like some of the younger fans like that stuff. Like for example, I was at a like I said I was at 
this uh, this toy show today, and I saw a kid who must have been like eight come up and look at a sealed um, uh, turbo tank, and he was like hassling his parents badly to buy it for him. But I like how how a kid who's eight even knows what that is because I like Dude, what, his what, life. What? No. Okay. Chris, what episode of The Mandalorian features a turbo tank? Well, yeah, but that's no, but I mean, like, I like you had you had you like he had he actually knew he actually seemed like he knew what it was and you probably wouldn't from that episode of Mandalorian. I I'm just saying, man, is it like, okay, like it it comes down to that. uh, We could debate this forever, but I just want to ask you, Chris, is that like based on the fact that look at all these things you have visions, which is very much stylistically more similar to Gendy. Than anything else Lucasfilm has ever done. You have the uh, reintroduction. You have of Dirge into canon, and yeah. now you have and you have this. These toy reveals tied into the oh god, uh, Gendy Clone Wars being officially on a Disney platform. You don't yeah, think but- there's you don't think there's anything to this as in a larger picture. Not at all. So you think it's just kind of all coincidence? I think it's it's like the. The original 50th anniversary, like I think I can hear Rob snoring in the background, so we better move on soon. But like I, well, but the, no, I, I know I, I, I lost the Star Wars. I know <laughs> it's okay. It's all good. The, but you know the original, uh, when when the 50th anniversary Lucasfilm stuff first came out, they had like t- I don't know if they still do or not. They had like a timeline on the back, sort of like showing the various eras. I think this is all just par for the course. They 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 they, they put they're putting out these horrible power the force power the force two black series figures that it's just like just stop like i like i grew up with those as a kid and i do not want those at all like the you're literally trying to cash in on what is unanimously considered the absolute worst era of star wars figures period where they just looked ridiculous and they learned quickly that they shouldn't design them that way but they're reissuing old figures with those card backs for whatever fun reason not interested um i i mean like you know i didn't i don't think there's anything to it um <clears throat> the gandhi series is obviously good and there's lots of stuff you can buy for it without spending much more than these new figures that actually that ha- Hasbro and Disney will not profit off of it if you buy it, and it's much more representative of the uh, original content. I, I like I said, I, I again, it's just the fact that like Disney has such a tight leash on Hasbro, and the fact that they're doing this would not happen. I can't, I can't imagine Hasbro going to Disney and being like, "Let's do this." Yes, I, I, I can, can because it's the cost of investment is very little because they're all old figures. That's that's fine though, but like even still, it, there's. Lucasfilm doesn't sign off on anything unless it's part of the bigger picture. It was recently added to Disney Plus. That's but that's the thing though. Like if they did all of this all at once, like oh this is part of like I don't know, like an announcement like in April when they did that thing, like oh look what's coming to Disney Plus next month, and that these would, figures announcements came at that exact same time. I would be like oh this makes sense. You're assuming but, that someone in charge actually understands the scope of the content. So when Lucasfilm, are we getting our um? Are whatever figures, um, detours figures, and Ewok Never. adventures. No, I'm I'm saying what? When are we getting those figures? Hey, I want that era, the forgotten era. 
the non exist. <laughs> exactly. I was That's say, what I'm saying. Like era. if D, like if detours is too fun. That's the message we're getting. Detours is too fun for current Lucasfilm. So well, it's, the, it's the same thing that happened back with like Ralph wrecks the internet. It was like they were they didn't want Kylo Ren in that movie because they didn't want them ruining the IP. Is that like, like but here? I be you know what? I don't think it's the same thing because I don't think they were in danger of being criticized for anything that occurs in Ralph wrecks the internet. No, but I think it's just like they 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 they're very weird with Star Wars Lucasfilm. They don't know how, again. They they're. We've said this before in the past. They just they don't want to make fun of it. They're they're so afraid of somebody not taking Star Wars seriously that they'll go out of their way to kind of suck the fun out of it. I feel like yeah, but for for sure. But like Lucas was definitely okay with jokes and detours that that like. But this is also a like lesser. What I've trouble with today. This is but this is that's the thing. Though. Like that's like lesser year Lucas. That was like Lucas the Taylor when he's like I don't care. Just leave. like I just want like the wear best shorts Lucas, and some yes. like. I just want to be able to order my Chinese food in peace. Uh, and wear Seth shorts. Green, please please leave me alone, Seth Green. I'm I'm trying to order my food, Seth Green. <laughs> Sir, th- that so isn't Seth even Seth Green. Green. That's that's Seth Rogen. Whatever. <laughs> Which is really funny because there's the article about how uh, Seth, like, Rogan's, like, fascinated by the fact that Lucas thought the world was going to end in 2012. Which is another fantastic, fantastic read of anyone. Just, just Google Lucas Rogan 2012 and you will not be bored for five minutes. Um, all right. I could, that's I, all about- I, I could derail this whole episode to defend Lucas's position on that. But <laughs> that's, I mean, that's fine. Never mind. No, not right. Is this well, something no- you want to do? Actively? We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, maybe that'll be fast. That'll be festive as 2021. All right, but on to the topic at hand. The reason why everybody was brought together for tonight's recording, 25 minutes into this recording. Oh no, um, I got I got Lego news. We got to talk about first. Yeah, we'll they have that. officially <sighs> announced the advent calendar for 2021, and it's just Mando themed. And you here I get... thought you were going to talk about the Republic gunship. No, I'm not interested <laughs> in that. Um. They got Grogu in a little Christmas sweater, so that's that's adorable. They got Mando with a with a with a little like scarf on. Are we really so need to talk that's, about this? That's 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 worth it. And they got the little Turk gun thing that you guys were talking about earlier, but in tiny form. So that's All the right, calendar. On. I'm excited. All right. Um, we'll get to that too. I feel like Chris, you have to talk, you don't have to talk about the fact that like they didn't include like a clone pilot or like this include or that's not to scale. And Ellie is still like, that's your problem. Yeah, that's, that's problem outrageous. Like I saw people come like, okay, we're we're not going to get back to it. Let's be honest. But anyone who's complaining that the their new UCS Republic gunship is out of scale needs to like stop collecting Lego because Lego is a ridiculous form factor where there's like cartoon block men. So <laughs> except that they're out of scale because there's a Harry Potter castle wherein the figures are like one one stud. So like scale oh, oh, does so not you're talking mean... about the one that is currently sitting in my god dang living room right now unbuilt. But yet I could have a god dang Star Destroyer that isn't to scale, and I could have that taking up an entire room of my house? It's a complete coincidence that the Millennium Falcon worked out, the UCS Millennium Falcon worked out to be sort of in scale with the minifigures and be like the right size for a preposterous retail release. There's no reasonable expectation that any of the others will be that way. (laughs) Like, stop talking about scale. It's Lego. It's supposed to look awesome and be fun to build. It's no matter what, it doesn't look like the source material because it's Lego. 
No, I, no, it's ridiculous because if I put a figure in there, it's like, what are these tiny little figures doing in this gigantic ship? Um, if you stand three feet back from it, it looks like a Republic gunship. <laughs> but if I put the figures in, they look like tiny little things inside a ship that okay but check this out though like let's let's derail this let, let's fully just blow this up so the ha the hasbro republic gunship is like per, like almost half too small but you wouldn't think about that but like it is like you look at the movie and like it's like two stories <laughs> like like so n none of them are right it, it, the real issue here is that what is the right size for a retail product? <laughs> That's all okay. it comes down to. Okay, if if I get this, I will have both of them hanging onto the rails at the top of the thing just to make it look even more ridiculous. Just to be clear, like they will be hanging onto those rails and be just hanging there. Okay, like okay, ten inches off of the ground. But are but are there not UCS? Are there not UCS Star Wars ships that do not even have minifigures? Like, isn't there a Tie Fighter that's obviously way too big for a minifigure? Sure, I don't know. That's 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 back in time before. Like, Argument destroyed. No, I, I mean, I mean, do you, do you just? <laughs> why don't you point out the most obvious one? Like Ellie didn't just go after my Star Destroyer. Yeah, it comes with figures that are definitely not to scale, but I mean, they don't go anywhere in the ship. It's not like I can put one of them in a captain's chair. This is how dumb this argument is. That Harry Potter castle, the Harry Potter castle <laughs> oh you're talking God. about, the Harry Potter castle comes with little figures that go on it and then regular figures that don't go on it because they're too big for it. Yeah, because Let's... they're exclusive to that. Okay, you are describing the Hogwarts castle. <sighs> $400. And it comes with um, the founders of Hogwarts minifigs. I don't know who those characters are. Figs. I don't know who those characters are, but I saw that it came with little baby figures and regular sized ones. And my conclusion is that scale does not matter with Lego. It's six. It's six thousand twenty pieces. Six thousand twenty pieces. It is currently sitting in my goddamn living room, doing nothing right now. It looks awesome, but uh, in a bar. but scale doesn't matter. No, but that, no, but scale matters not. Scale. They have tiny scale. I want large scale for my. So, so if I get that gunship, which I probably won't, Ellie probably will, and I will to call it blasphemy and get my star destroyer and have it like wreck into it, because why not? My girlfriend just sent me a text to say stop bashing the Lego Harry Potter castle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll get Ellie if if you just want a rage rage moment. I was like, I wasn't someone's bashing, bashing the Harry Potter castle, and she'll be like, what, what, what? I wasn't bashing it, but it's just like, literally, like, okay, I'm going to let you guys move on in one second, but like, look, think about Lego for one second. There's square men with yellow skin like the Simpsons, and like, they don't look like humans, and they are on little blocks that are all square like Minecraft, and we're talking about scale. I don't see the issue here. What? What's the problem? Delightful. I rest my case. <laughs> you guys, yeah, oh god, I can literally hear the like the like listener count just drop. Um, all right, 
there's something I want to say about like the ultimate like collector set like Star Destroyer, but I'm not going to. Oh no, uh, go ahead, go ahead. We're here. Let's okay. do this. I, I I have to. All right. So I was at like like a discount like store, like one of those ones that has like. Oh they my had, like, god! A bunch no, of, like, don't no no. I know no, this listen, is going. Listen, listen. No, I didn't do anything, but I saw it and I kind of got excited. Like it's like one of those like like wholesale stores. They had a bunch of like Fozzie Bear plushes like for seventy five cents each, and I started laughing. Um, but like what they had like behind the counter like is a display piece. They had the like usc like star destroyer for like 500 dollars, and for a split second i was tempted i'm like that's a pretty good deal and i realized they probably just like took all the minifigs out and probably just trying to resell it but i'm like that's a pretty solid price for a usc set like 500 dollars. ucs set my bad i want it god i want it <laughs> but it was already put together no it was in the box oh okay i was like, already put together like, the slave one is the only cool like UCS. Like, let's get real. Um, Boba Fett ship, excuse you. Boba Fett starship. Boba Fett starship. Yeah, that's Boba a Boba Fett planet ship. Because because Boba Fett's ship is like the boat he like 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 pilots around or like goes around like on weekends. I'm so I'm so glad that came up. To, I'm so glad that just came up. Anyways, because, like, I'm excited about the Vader meditation chamber. Moving on. There, I did the Lego moment. Vader, uh, yeah. So, like, you know, um, on on the on the subject of Boba Fett's starship, because that was the title. <laughs> of, that was the title on. of the last episode. Uh, you know, I was I was looking at some uh, some 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 2008 era Hasbro stuff uh, at this toy show today, and I realized that um, amongst like a bunch of vehicles being advertised, like the Bark Speeder on the back of these Clone Wars packaging, and like the Boga. And the ATRT, there's this vehicle um, that's called. Uh, it's a lot like Boba Fett Starship. It's called General Grievous's Wheel Bike. <laughs> it's a very literal name. I thought that I it I saw that, and uh, the fact that it doesn't have like a canonical absurd name made me think of Boba Fett Starship. So you know, like it's not unreasonable that once in a while they. They just literally attribute a vehicle to a character and move on with it. No. All right. Um, I, I literally we can hear Rob like just like passed out in the background. He's dead. Uh, Do I get like a Star Wars Boy Scout medal for sitting there? <laughs> Rob's like, God damn. Nerd. Rob's just yelling the entire time. Nerds. <laughs> All right. Getting on to the topic at hand um, before anybody else derails it, including myself. Um, the point of this discussion was there was a uh, YouTube video that I was kind of tickled by from. I haven't mentioned them. God, like nearly like in a year and a half now. It's from what was one of my favorite punching bags back in the day during like the last Jedi Rise of Skywalker era, Midnight's Edge. The video is titled The Message Behind Disney's Star Wars Trilogy Being Thrown Under the Bus by the Atlantic. And this video is referencing in, in the Atlantic article titled, quote, How Disney Mismanaged the Star Wars Universe. Um, I invite everybody listening to this episode to go listen to this youtube discussion if you can call it that but more importantly go read the atlantic article i'll link to it in the show notes um it's not a very long article it's maybe like a dozen paragraphs long and they're rather like 
short paragraphs, maybe a couple sentences each. Um, my thing is that like, I, part of me doesn't even want to summarize the Atlantic article because I'm kind of curious what everybody's take on it is. But the uh, the summary of the Midnight's Edge video is um, Kathleen Kennedy is Satan. She's done nothing but ruin Star Wars. You know, the usual trope that started after The Last Jedi's release. Um, but the main point of this YouTube video is um, this article from The Atlantic is the final nail in Kathleen Kennedy's coffin. She's going to be imminently fired sometime this year. And this is kind of like the, the death knell, like kind of like, this is, this is it. This is it. She's done. Um, she's going to at some point be, she's going to retire at the end of this year. And Indiana Jones five is going to be her swan song. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, cool. <laughs> awesome that's the greatest thing i could ever have heard in my life continue that Sorry. what do you what do you think they're going to do with kathleen kennedy after that i mean because we all know that she she literally did not exist until disney made her in a lab to head star wars put, do, do put they her recycle her box. for parts you, 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 you put her in a box and then it's the end of raiders of the lost ark <laughs> she goes in the warehouse okay yeah exactly which oh, is area 51 by the way Yes, Bob, which, which it was discovered by Bob Lazar, thanks to the Unbelievers yep. podcast. So we're, <laughs> we're making, we're bringing this all full circle. Um, we miss you, Russ. Um, all right, so oh, we always miss Russ, especially now that Russ told me that he'll give me a spot on Believers to talk about real scary stories at some point. Um, look forward Ooh. to that, Rob. Look forward to that. Um, uh-huh. So uh, no, so uh, just going around the room, I because Zenger is always didn't do the required reading for the discussion we'll, we'll save him we'll save him for last because he has a chance to kind of copy off everybody else before we get before the teacher calls on him um well so i, I want to begin with rob because i know chris probably has a lot to say about this Uh-oh. rob considering that you are the, the official bard of vader you are you are our like resident filthy casual um relative to the rest of us I don't know if he's the filthiest. He's pretty stinky though. But <laughs> but like Rob, what what is your take on all of this? So when you um sent, you know, the the article and the video over, I actually read the article first and then went to the video. I don't remember. I I know you sent in the Facebook chat between us earlier that you suggested the other order, but when you sent tell, told me about this a few days ago, I switched the order. I got such a different idea from the article than what's presented in the video, and I think that's just because of where I'm coming from on this topic. Um, but something that I found really interesting, and you know, I, I'm, I think you guys are going to latch on to that Midnight's Edge video and that um, uh, the the sleight of hand of you know industry manipulation that uh, Cameron Pasha talks about in that. I I dug into a lot of the other articles that they uh, linked to and cited in the Atlantic article, and some of them more explicitly than others all get at this kind of same idea um, that I feel like these these types of articles are presenting the idea that the only way for Star Wars Star Wars to return to its former glory or its its kind of, you know, acceptable version to not cause controversy, I guess that's the goal, I'm not really sure, is that they basically need to do away with the force entirely. And the the article that really explicitly states that is the first one they link to in the Atlantic. It's in the second paragraph. Um, when they mention the force, there's a sentence that's underlined and it links to a Jacobin article. And if you know anything about Jacobin, it starts with the usual you know, their political flair of saying that pop culture is intrinsically fascist and things like that. Um, Jacobin has, has some very weird takes on things, you know, that I think one of my favorite articles from them is a huge diatribe of someone saying that, like, you know, 
where the world will end unless Shark Tank is off the air. It's so capitalistic. Uh, there, but there's a few interesting ideas, and that article is actually titled "Smash the Force." So, so my big takeaway after reading these, you know, maybe like four or five articles, was that they were really, you know, like I said, either implicitly or explicitly getting at the idea of the only way to continue Star Wars is to somehow kill the Force. Or if the Force is ever used, it's so rare that it's only like once a season of a show or maybe once in a trilogy of movies. The other Wait. side of it, the video, which I think you're gonna, you guys are going to get into, that's the stuff that I found wildly interesting that I have some thoughts on, but probably less so, and I'm more interested to hear what, what you guys think about that. Hold on a second. Aren't they making Ahsoka like the lead for like going forward with the show? So that she, but hold on, hold on. Zenger, this is all about just trying to like perceive what the art, what is that uh, okay. the commentary is wants us to believe about the current. Okay, state because of I was Star like, whoa, 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 wait a second. If they're killing off the Force, they've 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 messed up somewhere along the way. Here. Oh yeah, I don't. Nothing in here says they are killing off the Force. That's what all these these uh, opinion writers are saying. That's what they think should go forward. You know, like I said, the Jacobin article. Which who you are they? Him. Give me give me a list of names. Uh, Spencer Cornhaver, the guy who wrote the article that we read, and then find Sam me Chris. that man. <laughs> I want to pants him. But no, I mean, like the the Jacobin article, it, it's really, like I said, like explicit and it, it it forces down the idea of that, you know, like like the the force is evil, like the force is a tool for for just people to do bad things. It makes this whole argument, which I, this is a, a slight tangent, but something I really want to ask you guys, a big part of the Jacobin article says that. There's no, I should also say, the Jacobin article comes out just before The Force Awakens comes out. So this is from 2015. And the the author, Sam Chris, says that there is no point in the first six movies in which they ever say the phrase, the light side. I looked into this, and from just random nonsense that I found online, the, uh, other people seem to agree with this. Now, I, I wanted to ask you guys what you think about that, but they posit this as, the light side does not exist. It's just implied by the explicit mention of the dark side. And they make the the idea that basically saying, you know, perspective is what it takes. And no matter what perspective you take on a side of good versus evil, the other side will always see you as evil. So they make this whole thing, you know, this argument that the force is, is something that's drowning Star Wars down in these perspective problems. And then it, of course, it ends with them saying, you know, Literally in the Jacobin article to get back to their politics, they say mass awakening as opposed to mass consciousness is a notion with unavoidable fascist overtones. <laughs> so, whoa, like I said, whoa, Jacobin is, has some issues, but there, uh, there's some ideas there. I mean, like let's first let's let's first settle down and acknowledge that the the light side is explicitly referenced in the original trilogy, as in one specific line as the good side which is brutal i know but like that's exactly what it means right i mean and it was so cringe worthy even back in the early 80s that they decided to stop stop it all right there so luke says that he believes he can turn vader back to the quote unquote good side okay okay it does have like it, it and i mean it's literally i think they probably recorded that with him saying the light side but decided that was even weirder Okay. Yeah, that that was something I had no idea of. But what I did find is that uh, from like some random Stack Exchange post was that the first time the phrase "the light side" was ever used in Star Wars media was season three, episode sixteen of Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I didn't double check that or anything, but you probably guys right are the experts the, on that. Yeah, probably in the same episode as the only time Slave One is ever said. Yeah. 
Perfect. So, All right, so Chris. That, that, okay. I just real I just wanted to to highlight, you know, while that Jacobin article is is so, you know, aggressive saying that, you know, like I said, the title of the article is Smash the Force. I think the the article our topic article of the day, the um the Atlantic one, I think this gets at something very similar because at first I was getting a little confused. I was like, why would they cite this article, you know, when when this was way before the Mandalorian, this was just before the Force Awakens comes out. I kind of found it really interesting that the the finale of this Atlantic article is uh, Spencer Kornhaber talking about how great the Mandalorian is, like gushing over the storytelling and the narrative and saying things like, you know, I love there's a 10 minute no dialogue sequence of just the Mandalorian surviving. And I love that, you know, we have this odd couple dynamic between him and this and, you know, baby Yoda. And it even ends with him saying, like, I think the um, last paragraph on, is he's hold like, on, hold on. Uh, can you repeat that, please? Him Do you want me to say who? big whiskey? Thank you. <laughs> okay, yes. I was trying to try stay true to the article. I don't say big whiskey in there, unfortunately. But we that all last, know what you're talking about. Yes. That last uh, paragraph of the article, he says, my favorite part in The Mandalorian in all two seasons is when, you know, The Mandalorian has to deal with that, that creature that's carrying her unhatched eggs. Oh, an episode that I have not seen. But everything what? he gushes about the Mandalorian, every single thing he talks about what is good in Star Wars has nothing to do with the Force. And I find that wildly interesting, that I think the, the sequel trilogy was so Force-heavy, and all these different articles I read, they're saying, oh, the stuff we really love about modern Star Wars has nothing to do with the Force. And so I started to get this sense that they were saying, we need to smash the Force to you know, regain Star Wars, which is something I don't fully understand. But but that that was what I took away from it, Zach. Thank you for giving me some time to talk. Uh, I have nothing to say about Lego. I'll throw, I'll throw that in there, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris, what is your take? You can respond to Rob later, but what is your take on these articles? Well, you, uh, I, I think um, it is rather selective, obviously, what... Um, Mr. Midnight's Edge selected uh, to talk about, um, and he sort of cherry-picked quotes from the article that support the continued narrative that Kathleen Kennedy is, in fact, Satan himself. Um, you, you know, like, I think it's naive almost to sort of believe that someone else in the same environment would have made way better choices. I think that the Mandalorian is like, here's really why the Mandalorian is anything, in my opinion. Someone with a pedigree made a compelling pitch. And because of that pedigree, they trusted that person's judgment. And he maybe he was the first person to do that who had the same kind of resume. Uh, maybe Favreau was the first person to do that who had that level of resume that they were able to say, you know what? Let's stop thinking about this and just trust this guy because he's done things that have worked. I think that's all it comes down to. I think that it's just this, any other person with those same sort of corporate pressures would have made similar choices. You're telling me I can't trust J.J. Abrams to deliver a compelling film? <laughs> what do you mean? Like, he, like look at these numbers. Like, it, it, It's more of a commentary on who the average audience member is than, than Kathleen Kennedy. It's an indictment of the average audience member, the fact that we got the sequel trilogy, in my opinion. <laughs> like, you know, it's like they know who their audience is. Uh, it, it, they're not the people who are writing about what a narrative disaster that trilogy was. OK, that's that's a Chris Porteous take that I should have expected. But I, I 
It's provocative, but I wasn't prepared for that. All right, Joe, before you answer, because I think at this point, your your opinion on Star Wars is kind of the most like murkiest of the three when it comes to like listeners. Like, did you what did you think of the sequel trilogy? Like, and in, in, when you respond to that, tell me what your favorite film of the sequel trilogy is and your least favorite. You can say none. Now, the <laughs> Force Awakens, the, the Force Awakens, what I thought was one of the better, was the best out of the three. Uh, the worst was The Last Jedi. And Rise of Skywalker. for me. Vain attempt to try and win back the people that like The Force Awakens. Okay. So with that being said, what, what are your takeaways from all this? Well, from the article, from what I read it, you know, they, they gave a nice little synopsis of what George Lucas thought when he made the original trilogy. And what you can glean from the article is the whole reason why she got the job was because she, they thought that she knew what George Lucas would do. And it's obvious that she didn't because um, earlier in the, in the article, they were talking about how he was wanted to do it similar to like a Flash Gordon show and mix all of these different elements into it. And, you know, the plot holes that he had in the story, but didn't really care about because he could always fill them up later. And that's where you get most of the, you know, that's where you get a lot of the, the fan fiction. You get a lot of the novels from it, from those throwaway lines, you know, the dark times of the rebellion. You know, when they were talking, when, when Obi-Wan was talking in the in episode four, you know, the dark times, you know, he, he wrote a whole, he wrote a whole trilogy off of that, the prequels, but people were always fascinated with it. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? You know, it was something, it's something that people, when they were paying attention to the movies, they gravitated towards and it actually helped him out in the end because he was able to make three more movies about what happened beforehand. But she, she was always worried about the story and Lucas wasn't, they said in the article, Lucas wasn't always interested in the story. And that's where the big disconnect is, is that here you have a person that you think is going to be of the same, of the same mold as Lucas. And it, it just didn't pan out. I think it's, it's like almost buyer's remorse at this point where they're, what they're trying to do is trying to find a way to, to just let her go. And hopefully she bows out gracefully and doesn't put up a fight. All right. Now this is, this is okay. Zanger, again, like once I start, I'm not going to stop. So based on what everybody's kind of told you, what is your takeaway from this? Like, what is like, have you at least tried to skim the article in the last five minutes or have you just been soaking in kind of marinating in what everybody else has been saying? Uh, column A, column B. Okay, so what's so what's of course I wouldn't have it any other ways. Um, we should everybody know that you were too busy riding your bike around uh, for you to, to do the uh, required reading. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. No, I was going go to say, Zach, I'm glad that you gave both a a text based and a video based medium for for everybody here because we know some yeah, of us I can't read. That's, that's a deep cut Knights of Vader reference. The fact that only Rob can read. Um, so Zanger, what, what is your take on all this? Like, I know we've talked about it a lot. Like this podcast at this point can almost be called like the state, the current state of Star Wars. Um, it's just flames, just flames everywhere. Everything's on fire. And for some reason, there's wolves everywhere. Oh God, why are there so many wolves? Anyways, um, so my opinion on what's been done with the, with the, um, with this article and what we've been talking about, 
Um, it, it, what? We, we're all shocked all of a sudden that Mandalorian's done good. Uh, move, big, big movie do bad. Like that's I feel like what the what what the thing is with this. Like everyone loves Mandalorian. Everyone is upset with the movie. So I mean, it th- what we've been going through this whole rigmarole since when? How long has it been now? 2018, 19. Yeah, basically the very end of 2017. Kathleen Kennedy became Satan. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, does the sequel trilogy ruin Star Wars for me? No. Does the Mandalorian make me love Star Wars again? Yes. Do I have an issue with those things existing together? No. Sorry to give a boring answer. <laughs> Singer, are you giving a diplomatic answer? I'm not sure if I can permit I, that on this podcast. I, no, because I mean, it's it's just I, I, I just everyone's blaming Kathleen Kennedy. I'm like, well, it's obvious, and the only solution to this problem is we redo the sequel trilogy. Da da da. da. Uh, yeah, that's going to go over great. That's going to go over fantastic. Let me know how that goes. Oh, wait, exactly. I've got I've got good news. It doesn't go well. <laughs> so. All right. So there. this is I, this I did a thing. I had an opinion back to looking good. at Legos. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Sanger. Um, Sanger, you should have said I know. As you go into the carbon freeze. Um, Okay, so this is my take on all this. Um, First and foremost, like as somebody who's never stopped beating the drum of the sequel trilogy was like unequivocally financially successful. Um, The only quote unquote bomb is Solo. And that was because Lucasfilm had no control over schedule placement of that. And the fact that they didn't know how to again, once again, Lucasfilm doesn't market these movies. Disney as in the studio does. And the marketing for all of these films, except for maybe The Force Awakens, was lackluster to normies. Um, but this is the thing that bothers me when it comes to not just the article, but like Midnight's Edge and all these other just like uh, armchair analysts, is that Kathleen Kennedy greenlit The Mandalorian and hired the people that are currently involved with it. So for the same reason why um, The Last Jedi is cultural cancer, you have to give her the credit of the mandalorian like she is just as much behind that as she is the last jedi um do I you have can to or can i just continue to not care well you can do both because that's what the internet oh, does sweet. um the internet's great it's just like kind of like, pick, like cherry picking its arguments but um, and this, there's a flip Pablo, there's Hoss, a Hoss, okay. let me finish my piece then everybody can uh dogpile um this is the thing, too, with Lucas. We're holding Lucas on this pedestal for how great the original trilogy was um, and just like how Lucas was this master storyteller that could do no wrong. And yet we still live in the current environment, maybe not as toxic as it was in the late 2000s. But Lucas, again, Lucas gave us the prequels. We cannot say that the original trilogy was this masterwork when to this day there are people out there that still say the only two good Star Wars films are Star Wars and Empire. Like, remember, there is the argument there that Jedi is a subpar film. Um, that's the thing that I can't get. We cannot say Lucas is this genius and then completely disregard that the prequels exist. And all the other kind of nonsense that he did was non like everything else that was that he made that was non-Star Wars related. Um, that's the thing that kind of bothers me the most about all this analysis is that the just the blatant hypocrisy of it and the cherry picking of arguments. 
is that like you cannot say Kathleen Kennedy is a disaster when she is responsible for the Mandalorian. We cannot do that because for the same reason why we hold Cowboy Hat Man such high regard, um, she also could very easily have demoted him and pushed him out of the company, yet she chose not to. Um, for the same reason why we, we uh, oh God, congratulate her for bringing John Favreau into this. Um, she also brought Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams into this. Um, you cannot separate the two. Um, the same thing goes for Lucas. You cannot say he's the master storyteller when he gave us both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Um, it, it's like anything in life. These people have their ups and their downs. I personally think Lucas never had a down. I think the prequel trilogy stands on its, on the same totem as the original trilogy. I think the sequel trilogy, I think 10 years later, will finally be looked upon as the best. I think I forget who it was of you guys who said it, but like it's the best that could have been done. Probably I think it was a Zenger. Um, it was the idea like th there's there's never going to be such a you're never going to make a fantastic seven eight nine. There's too much cultural just baggage that comes with Star Wars at that point. Um, you're never going to be able to please everybody. And this goes back to the argument too is that the Force. If everybody remembers December 2015 and January 2016. Um, the Force Awakens was the greatest thing that ever existed. If everybody forgets the reviews from that time, the headline was Best Star Wars Since Empire. And that was the same thing that followed Rogue One, Best Star Wars Since Empire. And that's another aspect of this. We're forgetting that Rogue One, which I find fascinating in this Atlantic article, says The Mandalorian is the best Star Wars product since 1980. And we forget Rogue One was is, is unequivocally the, the considered the greatest Star Wars product of like post nineteen eighty. And so that's glad you brought that up. And that's the thing too is that like we can't like again, Kathleen Kennedy's responsible for Rogue One. We again you can say, oh well yeah, she hired Gareth Edwards who screwed it up. A, we do not know what the screwed up version of Rogue One looks like. Um and two, she hired Tony Gilroy, who guess what? Cleaned it up. And she, guess what? She kept him in the fold for Calrissian Andor, a.k.a. Cassian Andor. So, like, I don't get this argument that Kathleen Kennedy is the harbinger of doom when she's responsible for both Rogue One and The Mandalorian. Like, I just don't get this. Like, like for the same reason why that Ryan Johnson single-handedly, quote-unquote, drove Star Wars into the ground – and she's somehow responsible for that. Well, then at the same time, she's single-handedly responsible for pulling it back up with the Mandalorian. So let the dog pile proceed. So wait a second. Oh wait, I completely lost my train of thought. Someone else go. <laughs> oh this my god! Sponsored by Surfshark. <laughs> 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 yeah. Time for an ad break, guys. You gotta plug can, somebody can I please there. mention? <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Uh, go to uh, Cinemati's VPN, which will single-handedly <laughs> allow you to uh, download movies illegally with no trace of the uh, content producers ever finding it. Don't let everybody else steal your data. Let Cinemodities steal your data. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Don't worry. Right, they great. don't have enough people to process the data. It's fine. <laughs> so, All right. so, Zach, I, I had a thought about something that we, like I joked about earlier, and this is something that I think, you know, I've, I've heard oh, from wait, you guys my thing. from the internet. Well, too late, Zenger. Surfshark. <laughs> no, I know. So in, in, uh, in the article and then what they highlight in the video is they talk about how, you know, um, they want to create a world that you can live in. You know, you don't. They don't want to make a movie. They want to make a universe. And at that idea, they say, you know, the when when you have like the scruff and the dents on things, it makes it more lived in, and it makes you feel like you're in it. And 
and in the video, he even specifically talks about how Lucas is dented. They make this weird argument about how he got in a, a car accident before he started making movies, and so he was dented when he got into filmmaking. And they contrast that to Kathleen Kennedy being the shiny and new version of Star Wars. And that's what I was getting at before, where I say, you know, we all know that Kathleen Kennedy did nothing until they created her to, to run Star Wars. And I think that's something that, you know, Zach and I have talked about a lot on and off mic, that she's been around forever. She's been with Spielberg. She's been with, you know, tons of different people producing crazy famous movies. But producing. people seem to think producing. Yeah. And, and, and it seems like, you know, people think she was literally created to make this Star Wars stuff. I don't really see her as the the shiny and new version of Star Wars. I think that gets to what you're saying, Zach. She might be picking people who are shinier and newer in the film industry, and she has some hits and she has some misses. I just find it always crazy that all the negative gets dumped on Kathleen Kennedy, like you were saying, and all the positives just go to, you know, John Favreau or whoever, you know, makes a good movie or show. Well, this is the thing I find interesting is that in this article, this is one point I really want to highlight. They say how the Mandalorian in the first four episodes of the series has captured that perfect lived-in world that is 100% reminiscent of the original trilogy. And as I was listening to this, I'm like, uh-huh. It's a world that isn't just on the screen. It's not two-dimensional. It is a three-dimensional, fleshed-out world. And I sat there and went, huh. I wish I could name just one planet that was introduced in The Mandalorian that wasn't Thank from pre-existing lore. And I go... I couldn't do that if my life depended on it. I couldn't name you one planet that is exclusive to the Mandalorian because and this is the f- yeah I know right <laughs> um, yeah and this is the thing I find so fascinating is it shows you how disconnected these people are from reality and just the facts oh of the my situation God. is that every single time they film a background in the Mandalorian. It's that Mission Impossible level like set dressing where it's just a giant mylar screen. That they have rear projected imagery put on. And I'm like, what you're arguing Fake that sets. exists. Fake. Exactly. Fake they, like, for the same reason why we we denigrate the prequels for being blue screen, the Mandalorian has taken that to an even further extreme, where at least Lucas had some level of set dressing. Yes, there was extremes like Cam uh Camino and Attack of the Clones, where it was essentially just green on green with you and McDonald looking at like a blue tennis ball, like on like a um, 10-foot rod. Granted, um, but you know, designs that they're still mining to last week on the Bad Batch, but exactly. Oh, exactly. But this is the thing that I find so fascinating is that like the thing that they're lauding the Mandalorian for and denigrating the rest of Star Wars for, it's it's the it's the antithetical argument of that. In that the Mandalorian's production is literally what they're chastising every other piece of Star Wars of, and it being two-dimensional, where the Mandalorian is literally at its, its Star Wars at its most just flat. This, like, is, this is where I need to rely on your expertise, Zach, because it's like, does does the uh, does commentary from the Atlantic carry the weight that they suppose it does in this video? Like, I'm, I, literally, I abhor this universe of content creation, so I have to rely on your judgment in this regard. Like, does the Atlantic it, carry this weight? This is the thing. I got to give Cameron Pasha, who is the one who who we actually see talking in this Midnight Sets video, is he it's oh, God, when it comes to reading tea leaves, he's pretty good at it in the sense of like when it comes to like more objective based things. Um, the Atlantic is one of these. It was originally a periodical before periodicals became a birdcage dressing. 
Um, it became it was one of those things like Time, Newsweek, um, in that like it I think it to, to very specific portions of the country, as in the US or North America, maybe, it's still held in high regard. Um, it's definitely something that Hollywood would listen to. Um, when this article came out, it probably raised a couple eyebrows over um, in, in Hollywood. Um, I don't know if it holds the amount of weight that uh, Cameron Pasha like gives it, um, but it is something that definitely is intriguing. And I think that's the thing that's so frustrating with – like Midnight's Edge is another one of these ones where this, they're in it for clicks. Um, they're part of the bizarre, stupid – they're just – well, yeah, they're in it because they're making money off of it. And the fact they have a sponsor now leads me to believe that they're even making more money on top of just getting into the YouTube algorithm, which is kind of sickening. Um, but it's like everything else in today's world. It's not surprising. Um, but no, that sponsor, that sponsored was so jarring, by the way. Yeah, I know. They, they do. You should see that because I've watched some of their videos on like the he, the quote unquote he man controversies on Netflix, and it's, it gets even he worse. Man how jarring on Netflix. Talk yeah. about something that has no story. Yeah. <laughs> um. But this is but this is the thing though is that the Atlantic article is like he makes a point very late in the video he's like the fact that this article comes out of nowhere with no other like major Star Wars announcements kind of like before it or after it is intriguing um that's the one thing I'll give him it's weird that this is coming out now um we're kind of like in, we're in one of those many dry spells for Star Wars whereas we really don't have any sort of official like talking points coming from Lucasfilm. Um, again, like I said, it's kind of sad when the most exciting thing is the fact that they're making like action figures from product that was released 10 to 20 years earlier. Um, that's the, probably the most valid point he gives in this entire thing in the sense of like, why this article now? Um, and that's saying, no, he, he's pretty, I'd say I, for the most part, agree with him in that the fact that the Atlantic is writing this leads me to believe that there's something going on behind the scenes at Lucasfilm. Um, it's been too quiet over there for a while now. Um, there's got to be something. And plus, I think I mentioned it last week, is that like Kathleen Kennedy has been head of Lucasfilm for almost 10 years now. Um, it's going to be nine years come this October. Um, it leads me to believe that that she's got to be considering some level of retirement. Think about being the head of a subsidiary studio of the Walt Disney Company, regardless of what you think the current state of Lucasfilm is, is an exhausting job. Even if everything is kind of just sunshine and roses, um, I would imagine she's probably planning her retirement. Her and Frank Marshall. Um, it, it would be ridiculous to think otherwise. Um, they, they're clearly in an age bracket where it's not absurd to think that they're thinking about retirement. Um, but I do think that the prestige, relative prestige of the Atlantic in the oh god sex that worship periodical based media still, I think it's warranted. Okay, so like, though, so like, onto like my interpretation of why this is some of the worst takes I've heard in a long while. Um, like, literally, they're literally saying that in no uncertain terms that um, aesthetic is more important than story when it comes to Star Wars. Um, they're confusing the idea of, like, they're confusing the idea of like a well motivated, interesting story with a garbage story. Like, you can put the same amount of energy into a story that makes no sense as you can to one that's sort of like emotionally driven and like makes sense for those characters. So like, you can't just say aesthetics are more important than story. There's like a story that's well motivated and there's a story that's poorly motivated by market research and weird, weird data analytics and whatever they think 
makes a coherent narrative by today's standards. So you can't like there's there's literally no space in this interpretation for a story that actually makes sense to a human being watching it and a story that's just nonsense gobbledygook that like some guy told them would be perform well data wise. So like you can't you can't cut out that factor. I like I I think if if you went back and listened to some of our older commentaries on Mandalorian episodes the same thing would come up where it's like it looks and sounds and feels like Star Wars there's not much of a story going on in the Mandalorian that's what they're saying now that's what that was that's been my opinion the whole time it's kind of like it's it it sounds and feels right the aesthetic is right but there's not a lot happening Zach, me and you had a conversation about this when you were talking to me about when The Mandalorian first came on. You know, it was basically Rifleman, the show Rifleman, in space, in Star Wars. And that's basically what it was. It was an old-style Western, and it was set in the Star Wars universe. And guess what? It worked. It worked, because people that's what people wanted at that time. It was something different. It was something new. It wasn't someone... You know, blowing up a giant space station or someone rescuing a princess or anything like that. It was a different format of the same genre people liked in a setting that people were familiar with. And that's what made it click. I think that to get at both of those points, that's something that I was thinking is that, you know, when I have heard all the rave reviews for The Mandalorian, you know, um, throughout its two season run, uh, my thought, especially after reading this article is, you know, is it a good show? Or is it something that's flimsy that people just finally got something different from Star Wars than they've had in so long that they they gravitate towards it? And it's that. It's the difference that's gravitating the people to it. Not only are the fans liking it because, oh, this is a different aspect of something that I already love. This is a different side of me seeing it. You know, we've never seen it where it was a, a like a weekly show. It's great. You know, but the thing is, it's it's Star Wars started out as a movie. And that's what it was, just one movie. And then it gravitated to all of this. But, but like, but, you know, it's literally, like, it's not actively trying to alienate me personally like the sequel trilogy is. That's literally all it comes down to. <laughs> like, like, that's literally the only difference. Like, it's not whether, oh, one is all about story and one isn't. It's, like, the story of the sequel trilogy, like is sandpaper to my understanding of the the first six movies it's just like what if we we uh let some guy who only thought the star wars and empire were good like forget everything about them and like remake a third trilogy based on his like half awake memory of the first two movies that's what it is it's like when like you know let's bring him let's bring him let's bring a music reference into this for you know rob might appreciate this you know way back in like way back in like 2013 black sabbath got back together to make a sort of final <laughs> record with ozzy right it's yeah. going to be the original band pretty much in ozzy and the producer uh, his name escapes me but he's highly negatively critiqued these days for compressing the dynamic range too much or something like that but he made them listen to their first two albums only 
for like a month and then make a new album. And, you know, it sounds kind of like if a 70 year old man made Paranoid in, in 2013. And, you know, it's just sort of like it's not trying to add a logical next step to the narrative, much like the sequel trilogy. It's like try and hit some of those same notes from those ones that no one argues about. And it's it's not it's not a third chapter. It's 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 trying to hit the same notes. It's not logically including the first two chapters and trying to make the next step. It's just trying to reiterate something that went well the last time. And that's the problem with the story of the sequel trilogy. It's not the fact that it has a story that makes it bad like this article is insinuating. It's the fact that it's not a logical continuation of the narrative. It's just, it's throwing out, it's relying on some chapter that you didn't see happening that is, forget whether it's narratively coherent, it's just like, it's not, like, there's there's some unseen chapter that just derails all of the sort of emotional intention and progress behind the other six movies. It really relies on you to not think about the other six movies, to watch it and enjoy it. That's the problem. Yeah, I know what you're saying, and this, I, I had that same thought that it was like a um, uh, they're they're talking about you know is is the Mandalorian in this article truly the way to balance the old and the new? Like, can we recapture the feeling of the original trilogy or what they think of Star Wars, but do something that isn't just a rehash of like you said the old notes? And and I I just think that's such a weird thing to even think about because you you like you said if it's just a rehash you have to have no knowledge of what came before. But if it's something new, everybody's going to get mad because then it's not the thing that they know and love. It's almost, it seems like it's almost impossible to balance that. No follow-up, Chris? Uh, well, it, it clearly is borderline impossible. Um, you know, like, let's, let's just, like, sum it up. Like, this article tries to cast a little bit of shade. I can't... Correct me if I'm wrong, whether it's the article or the Midnight's Edge video, casts a little bit of shade on the critical reception of the of the prequel trilogy. But, you know, like, let's let's get real. Let's get real for a second. Right. Why do I think the prequels are actually good, interesting and sort of emotionally relevant to the core story of those six movies? Because it shows it shows what it's it's it, it, it speaks a, a little bit to my core belief in determinism it shows why you shouldn't judge someone like darth vader so horribly for their actions because you're missing out on all of the terrible weird things that happened to them that formulated them into this individual and it doesn't matter whether you can relate to those actions it doesn't matter whether you think they're well motivated it's just showing you that if you subject a person to these things it's going to impact their character in this way there's more depth in that than anything that happens in the sequel trilogy i have no clue like people think vader went crazy over nothing i have way less of a clue as to why kylo ren went crazy or luke for that matter <laughs> you know what i mean like i have no idea like i it's not motivated by anything we see on screen and that's the the weird thing about it it's just there's this big jump where we don't know how these people became this way and then we see them doing things that don't make any sense and it's like I, I can understand why the, the prequels are interesting because it, it motivates Vader's redemption and Return of the Jedi. It sort of shows why he's a worthwhile person. 
But to be fair, though, like Vader's redemption in Return of the Jedi, there's nothing like this. Is the thing I find the most interesting about Star Wars and like the whole it's like poetry, it rhymes, is that like all of the emotional baggage that Star Wars has from the original trilogy is established in Empire. Like there's nothing I don't outside, I don't, outside I don't of I, Obi. Outside of Obi-Wan and Luke's talk in Obi-Wan's hut on Tatooine, there is no real emotional baggage set forth in A New Hope. There really isn't. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about that, though. Like, it's it's is it set? Is it set deliberately during the production of A New Hope? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But when you have Obi-Wan's reactions to sort of like it's it's just it's it's almost inconceivable that Vader and Anakin weren't the same person when A New Hope was shot when you have when you watch that scene it's like the way he describes him as uh, as a good friend and he reflects on he's, you just literally see him just like devolving into memories while Luke's looking at this lightsaber it's like you can't even it's and then you have this their whole dialogue on the death star during their duel it's shocking if we're to believe that Lucas wasn't thinking about any of that stuff while writing I, a new hope. But, that, but this is what I mean, like, like ignoring the background, I mean, just exclusively just looking at it from that film's perspective, it's that Empire and Jedi retroactively add a lot of weight to Star Wars, as in 1977. And the prequels obviously do a lot to add to it after the fact. And I think that exact same thing happens with the sequel trilogy. The Force Awakens is a very much to the point film. It's not concerned in adding layers to the lore. And then Last Jedi spends most of its runtime explaining the current state of the galaxy. And then The Rise of Skywalker is trying to then kind of, what's the word, find like almost like balance between everything that was established in The Last Jedi. And everything that was just kind of table that was just kind of there in the Force Awakens, and that's and that's and you've totally distilled the real problem with the sequel trilogy. It's here's what it is. It's like the resolution that occurs in Return of the Jedi should be literally. It's like the next day the Star Wars universe ended, and if you want to make another movie, find some place in between or before those six movies to place your standalone story. Or if you have the audacity to continue the story, the idea is that the the in-universe society has progressed beyond the point of having hilarious stormtroopers once again and the same exact story playing out. Like it's like it's like whether you like we don't know the exact details of Lucas's story treatments, but he taught like the, the few comments he's made about it indicate that there's the sort of the sort of core arc to that would be some sort of greater revela- revelation about the the reality of the force and what it is. That's something that would be a sort of a worthwhile ideological narrative progression to the first two trilogies. That's sort of like Luke and the New Jedi Order like amidst some menial struggle against the underworld, discover some next level of revelation about how the force works and 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 presumably in that third film there would be some sort of worthwhile evolution of using the force that would be interesting in some way and instead we got like the sort of exact same sort of 
political narrative structure that we have in the original trilogy after like the whole the work of throwing off that sort of government for for lack of a better word it's not it's not an ideological next step so place it somewhere during the timeline because you they didn't have an idea good enough to add a third note to those first two notes that okay there there's a lot to kind of unpack there um I, I don't know. Like, remember the the biggest. Like, if you're if you're okay, this is the thing too. We got to be. It's not just I and a lot of people crap on Disney. We also have to be fair to them. Like, this also has to be commercial. And considering that the one of the remember Disney also bought the argument that the sequel. I'm sorry, the prequel trilogy was bad. Remember when they went in to the Force Awakens, the first thing they did in that point was just Episode Seven. Was they canceled. Star Wars detours, RIP, right, Zanger? Yeah. And that, and then the the immediate next action was no more like prequel trilogy 3D. Like, no, we don't want people thinking about prequel trilogy. We want to live exclusively in the world of the original trilogy. Like, let the past die, kill it if you have to. Um, and that was the edict from Lucasfilm, like come 2013. That came with the EU purge. It came with all that. So the idea of them looking at like Lucas's alleged treatments of the sequel trilogy and like oh this is supposed to kind of like delve into even further deconstructing the spirituality of sorry spirituality of the force there was never a universe they would do that with even now i think you'd be very hard pressed to find a lucas film that would want to go into that's fine that's that i totally i believe you and agree with you because that's the terrible world we live in it's just it's wrong though that's all i'm saying but this, like I said, not to delve too far away from the topic at hand in that Kathleen Kennedy equals Satan. Um, do we agree? Yes or no? Um, it, it boils down to everybody. It, it's getting more and more profound how nobody has uh, a, I don't even want to say objective or subjective understanding of Star Wars. It's coming down to just a realistic understanding of Star Wars. Um and that's the thing that kind of frustrates me as a Star Wars fan. And I'm kind of delighted that for the most part, the fandom doesn't care anymore. But this kind of brings me down to brings it down to another point I kind of want to discuss in that everybody keeps saying the success of the Mandalorian, the the that rhetoric. We don't know how successful or if the Mandalorian is even successful because those numbers, those viewership numbers, in whatever sort of just quantitative measure that Lucasfilm has, Lucasfilm Disney has, for what is considered success of a streaming service program, we don't know. And this is where I kind of want to delve into, I kind of like tap into Rob's like understanding more of like as a statistician, is that, or maybe even almost like a quasi like actuarial science individual, is that like, how do we measure the success of something when, and this even goes down to Disney as well. How do we measure the success of something in which we don't have numbers for it? Whereas like, if we want to measure the success of the sequel trilogy, um, we can at least look at things like box office numbers yeah. and be like, Oh, the, the rise of Skywalker made $1.07 billion. The last Jedi made $1.3 billion. 
The Force Awakens made $2.06 billion. And we can at least point at that and be like, here is a number that is, uh, is accepted by the industry as to this is how much this thing grossed. We don't know how, like, we don't know the numbers on The Mandalorian for better or worse. We don't know. Like, it could be averaging 1 million viewers per episode, 10 million viewers per episode, half a million viewers per episode. We don't know five how successful The Mandalorian viewers. is. I'm sorry. That's five. That, <laughs> thank you, Zanger. Um, yeah, that's something that's always w wildly interested me. And, you know, I think it gets it. What this article is going for as well is that you're right. We don't have those numbers from Disney Plus. I don't think we're ever going to have those numbers from Disney Plus. You know, they might they might throw out some number like you hear on Netflix or Hulu where some new movie comes out and they say this was watched by every person alive or dead, you know, in the first hour of its release. And it's just like that's almost meaningless. Um, I, I, I think the thing that gives me the biggest problem in that comparison is that when they say it in this article, I've heard it before. They throw all this this hate at Kathleen Kennedy and talk about how, you know, she mismanaged the the um the sequel trilogy. And they they put all the the oh maybe you know the Mandalorian is good because everybody's talking about it on Twitter or on you know meme websites and Reddit who knows, but the the thing you know that you made me think of Zach is that you know in this article and like I said elsewhere I've seen they say oh the the uh, sequel trilogy came out to diminishing returns like you know the in the sense that the the third made less than the second made less than the first and so they say well did Star Wars lose its mojo or did they mismanage the the property. I this made me think, well, if you look back at the original trilogy, that did the same thing. The first made the most, the second made the second most, the third made the least. What really surprised me is that the prequel trilogy is the only one to break this pattern. It, it goes, uh, so Phantom Menace made the most, episode three made the second most, and episode two made the least. So if they want to use the metric of diminishing returns as mismanaged, then by that logic, the only not mismanaged trilogy was the prequel trilogy. Th that's why I think just relying on that metric is so misleading when you're just looking at, you know, Kathleen Kennedy. When we, we can't even compare the things in Star Wars today that are well-received, and I don't think we can compare, you know, uh, previous TV shows or any extent like that as well. You know what I mean? Well, one thing I do want to say, Rob, is that uh, the original trilogy didn't rebound with Jedi. Empire is the least, the lowest grossing film of the original trilogy. Oh, you guys would know better than I have, but that was not what I found on the internet today. Just saying. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Return of the Jedi did rebound. And that's what makes The Rise of Skywalker almost an anomaly in all this. And that it was the only time a Star Wars trilogy's final installment did not rebound. Um, but it also points again, it goes like, but going back to the actual numbers of this, it all, if you also have to look at this too, is the fact that like, we look at the sequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy weren't the only star Wars films released in theaters. Yeah. You mm -hmm. have the force awakens. And this has been one of my favorite, favorite arguments of all time. And I will never get tired of this is that like, and this shows how nobody under nobody wants to talk about the factual information. Force Awakens releases in December 2015. Uh, worldwide does $2.07. A number that nobody expected. Disney didn't even expect that. Uh, far exceeded their expectations. And then the very, Hooray. very next year, yes, the very next year, Rogue One comes out that Chris has even agreed with me is considered one of the unequivocally most lauded Star Wars projects to ever exist. 
not like niche on a Clone Wars level, but as a mainstream blanket level. And so I'm going to ask Joe, yeah, Mr. Joe, Joe, do you like Rogue One? Rogue One is awesome. There you go. And guess what? Rogue One makes literally half as much money as The Force Awakens. $1.05 billion. So by well, that... But that's the thing is, you know, you have to realize where your demographics coming from. I'm in my mid 40s. All right. I grew up with the original trilogy, you know, watching them get the Death Star plans before episode four was like candy for me. That's the whole thing. It was nostalgia. But th- but that's why the- that's sure, why it I- has a special place in my heart. Sure, but but once again, this is a new story with for the most for almost exclusive for the most part new characters outside of a couple fan favorites sprinkled in like Tarkin Invader. Um, it's it's a new story, but again, this is the point of this is to get back to box office numbers and the fact that just like ma- again mass audiences. Like I've always said, Disney doesn't care about what the nerds think. They You're right. Care Zach, about I just want to correct is. myself. You are you are absolutely right. I was looking at so worldwide, the prequel's the only one that bounced back. Domestic, the original trilogy did bounce back. You're right. Yes. And, and when it comes to like inflation with worldwide numbers of films from the 70s and 80s, that is a very hard like, yes. like yes. route to navigate. I don't even know how to navigate. Good point. That. Yeah, I was looking at worldwide, but you're absolutely right, Zach. Domestic is is then yes it yeah but that's another yeah that whole conversation sorry <laughs> sure but this is the thing i find fascinating about once again because even in this in this midnight's edge video cameron pasha references that the focal point or i guess the linchpin is the last jedi that's what's what destroyed star wars the last jedi single-handedly destroyed star wars and this is my favorite who? favorite well this is well idiots on the internet Name, this name is my... some of them. I'm gonna go handsome. <laughs> hey, 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 come on. Joe Yazo. <laughs> I'm gonna go handsome. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not super hard you. <laughs> but this is my favorite point, though, and I want Rob to answer this. Is him being the statistician here? We have Force Awakens, two point zero seven billion dollars. Rogue One, one point zero five billion dollars. The Last Jedi. billion dollars explain that rob well that does that show diminished return like how would you if you again if this was a project and you were asked to analyze this what would be your interpretation of it like what would what would be the the under like if you're explaining to a layman numbers wise how would you explain that sort of dip both quantitatively and qualitatively well, I, I think there's definitely something between the the correlation in the order in which they come out and the and the public the I, when I say public, I mean kind of the mass audiences of these things, because, of course, you know, just like you just said, I, I think, and also critically review wise, The Force Awakens was so well received. It was such a huge movie. Um, it seemed to be some revitalization of Star Wars, as they said, and things like that. I think when, you know, we get to Rogue One. And we get to, you know, this being the next movie that Disney is releasing. I would imagine that these these this mass public that I'm describing who are not you guys and not me. I'm talking about the people who are like confused when Darth Maul shows up at the end of Solo, that type of thing, like the people who just go see the movies. I, I would have to imagine in some things I have read before that when Rogue One was being marketed, a lot of people thought that was episode eight. 
I think there was a big chunk of audiences that thought just because it was next, that is the next big installment that was going to continue the Force Awakens that they loved. So there's a lot of, you know, riding the coattails of Force Awakens. I've heard and, firsthand accounts of people who were confused if Jen was Ray. You're not wrong. So I feel like there's some correlation there. And when they they realize that there is this kind of, you know, interjection in the in the series, in the established order that they're used to from the movies, at least, that causes some maybe confusion in, in this this mass public that I'm describing that when you finally do get to The Last Jedi, they, there's some confusion of, you know, oh, we have another one, maybe some fatigue or something like that. And I, I think there is some big, you know, correlation between this this interjection, like I said, of Rogue One, where it caused a lot of people to to stop writing the coattails. And then, of course, when The Last Jedi comes out, I feel like the word of mouth is just so much. This is so different from what we got from the first one, from the first two, if you count, you know, Rogue One, that it doesn't have that energy to move forward. And so I think there's such a quantitative drop off because that, you know, Disney almost, you know, put a roadblock with these these people who, you know, thought we were going to just get the next three movies and that was going to be one big, you know, Star Wars story. And instead we get this jumping around in the timeline and things of that nature. Yeah, how I do you want thank, Go Well, ahead. that's the thing. But the thing I want to ask Rob, though, and I think he went like almost in the way too into the Star Wars fan base level of this. Um, but this is my question, though. Is that like looking at this just solely from a numbers perspective? It's the idea that the oh god, qualitative argument is the sequel trilogy ruined Star Wars. I think that's fair to say that is both not just the major argument of the Atlantic article, but also of the Midnight's Edge piece, considering mm -hmm. that Midnight's Edge has almost exclusively lived off Kathleen Kennedy equals Satan for two plus years now. It's the idea that if you look at the numbers of every Disney Star Wars film released, it's the sequel trilogy film that has rebounded the franchise. Because you go from $2.2 billion to $1 billion, then to $1.3, which is a sequel trilogy film, mm -hmm. to then the sub $400 million film that was Solo, to then... $1 billion, which is the rise of Skywalker. Because qualitatively speaking, we can say the sequel trilogy is what buoyed Disney Star Wars for the latter half of the 2010s. Sure. Is, that, is that a wrong thing to take from that, Rob? No, no, definitely not. I mean, just from the numbers, absolutely. Those are the ones that, that make the most and, you know, keep people or people seem most interested in. Sure. So mm. I, get, I get, once again, tell, hold on a sec, Chris, you'll have your chance to respond to all this. So would it be, because again, Rob, you are... You are somebody who's based solely in numbers as an individual. To say that the sequel trilogy is what destroyed Star Wars based on the numbers, that is a disingenuous argument, yes or no? Uh, based on the numbers, it, it, it could be a little disingenuous, but this is where it gets uh, this is where it gets tricky, you know, and getting back to what you said about how we have no comparative metric with the Mandalorian, I that, you know, the numbers I don't think what any people on the internet, you know, like this article is saying, well, they might use this something to to bolster their argument. It's all coming down to these more, uh, like Chris was saying, story versus aesthetic. It's coming down to these more, you know, categorical things. This, this um, how many, you know, what's trending when we get with Star Wars and stuff like that. I definitely think there's a blend there. But no, you can't, you're not wrong, especially with the, just the way the numbers pan out, that um, these these movies are huge. 
Um, but that's but this is the thing though, is that like and this goes down to like credibility in journalism. And I can't put enough quotation marks around the word journalism, so I'm not even gonna try. Um, is that like I, Rob, if you were writing a paper on this, would you again if you were asked and your conclusion was like if you're writing an article on or a paper and it was on the success of Disney's sequel trilogy, if your conclusion was based on listing all these numbers to say the sequel trilogy was a failure for the Walt Disney Company. Wouldn't you look at that and be like, well, that is a false conclusion to draw from all this? Solely based on the numbers. And actually, if there was some some way to do research into, you know, uh, profit margins and things like that, then no, I, I don't. I mean, I haven't done any of that research, but I don't think that, you know, there's there's a, a huge uh, it had to have made the money, not just in, you know, the the box office of the movies, but all the tie in things such as merchandise and, and licensing and things of that nature. But that that's where, you know, if if you really want to do this well, I think there would be a, you know, monetary kind of uh, measurement or metric that we're using. And that would have to take into account with some, you know, correlation of, you know, social media traction. I think that's a huge part of it, which is why when I read these articles, I think that's what most of their arguments are based on. That's why I keep hedging with this. So you're right. Based on the numbers, you can calculate that. But that's the thing that frustrates me, though, is about like, again, like people like Midnight's Edge, like we said, they are just, they're grifters, they're charlatans. They're there to just make, a buck off of just angry fans, disenchanted fans. I don't even want to say angry, disenchanted fans. The problem that makes me mad, and this is where I want to kind of shift focus from Rob to Chris, because Chris has his finger on the pulse of a lot of Star Wars fans. Don't you find it fascinating that there's so many fans out there? They're almost, they're neither huge fans of the sequel trilogy, neither haters of it, yet they're just so inclined to believe whatever narrative that's dangled in front of their face. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the state of uh, you know m- modern understanding of pop culture. It's like I was saying before that uh, if we don't have numbers for the Mandalorian, then we would have to you know rank its success by you know how, like I said, how much is trending, what's what's getting on Twitter, you know how many uh, Reddit replies is it is it or posts is are it talking about? That's much harder to measure. But it seems like you know that's what's become the the metric of how good something is. Is oh can you know, is the Mandalorian a good show because you can post a meme of big whiskey and it'll stay on the front page for, you know, more than an hour, which is insane. It's, it's just the strangest thing to me. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing where I have to ask Chris is that like, again, this goes back to again, more of almost like an anecdotal argument. Why is it that the fandom and my mean fandom, I mean, just kind of like the ones that don't really have, again, they're just fans. They really don't have a stake in this argument. But why is it they're so much more inclined to believe the more hostile argument than the argument that can be proven with numbers? Because it's uh, let me like I I I don't see, I, Star Wars must have blinded you in some way, Zach. I must say because like <laughs> because like here's for for anyone for anyone who wants if anyone is wondering um if anyone who, if anyone ever feels compelled to use the box office numbers as a means of justification for the fact that the sequel trilogy must not really be that bad narratively speaking i i got one word for you avatar it's it's okay bland. continue continue yeah continue. it's bland it's bland stuff it's like like here's how i would rank it as i'm i'm a very secular person I don't believe in the existence of a soul, but if I were, here's how I would rank Star Wars movies. <laughs> the original trilogy has a soul. The prequel trilogy has a soul. 
Rogue One has a soul. The sequel trilogy does not have a soul. I'm not. Sh- I think Mandalorian has a soul. I've and when I say that, I say I'm talking about when I'm watching it. Do I feel like the slightest bit of like an actual emotional connection to this narrative content? And that's really what it boils down to for me. I don't think box office numbers are not going to tell you that. I I felt I felt go more ahead, watching Rob, Rogue lose. One than go, I did go watching on, Avatar. No, I, I think Chris Chris makes a really good point there is because, you know, you know, Zach, Zach we're uh, everybody's talking about, you know, was the sequel trilogy a success or a failure? And I think it comes down to, well, which metric do you want to use? If we're if we're talking as fans, I think I'm siding more with Chris as are they good movies? Are they good stories? Do I want to watch those movies? And that's a much more, you know, categorical type of of metric that we'd have to use that's really tough to get a handle on that would need to take that social media into account. But if you're from the perspective of Disney, then I'm with you, Zach. It's totally the numbers. I mean, they might care a a good bit about how these movies are received, but if they're going to keep turning a profit and people are going to keep seeing them, then that's all the numbers are going to care about. But Chris, you, you make a really good point. You're absolutely right. You know, just how much money the movie makes has no impact on if it's a good film or not. I know a bunch of films that I love that made no money, and I'm like the only person ever buy the Blu-ray type of thing. So it, it's that matter of perspective that is a, a huge thing. And why I was saying also it would be really interesting to combine them, which I'm sure some division of Disney is trying to do at this point. But this, again, going back to Avatar, and Avatar is the best example of all this. Yes. Maybe not as best, not as great as it once was, but it still kind of is. Is that like, Again, two point something billion dollars worldwide. I don't care what Twitter thinks. Avatar was popular. As Rob knows, and I think I've laid out a couple of times now, I'm either Knights of Vader or Cinematis. Nobody rode the hype train as hard as I did for Avatar in the fall of 2009. Tell them, Rob, you were there. You were a physical witness to Zach on the Avatar hype train. And I've never, I've never been so disappointed in the film. I will never forget to the day I die. Rob and I were at Avatar opening day. <laughs> Movie ends. Credits begin. We have Leona Lewis singing some song like it was like Avatar's version of Titanic, where it was like my Navi tail will live on forever. And I'm just like, I remember Rob and I. I, I look to Rob, and I'll never forget. Rob turns back to me and goes, "Eh," as he does like <laughs> the, like the hand shaking notion. And I remember Rob called his father because we were both under the age of eighteen at the time. And like, and he's like, and then Rob's just like, I didn't like it. But Rob's father was like, what Zach thing? He's the opinion I care about. And I'm like, <laughs> greatest film of all time. Because I was in such, such denial. Because in the subsequent weeks after that film was released, I had to lie to people about that film. Because I was so afraid of just like, oh God, I hyped this up so much to myself. Avatar. Zinger hyped up that one uh, Valerian, the House of a Thousand Corpses, or whatever the. (laughs) I hope that's the sequel. (laughs) They give Rob Zombie the next Valerian. (laughs) No, Zinger, your movie you hyped up was Ready Player One. That was. Oh no! I I think I was petitioning for that to be like done and like remember. Remember that universe in which Valerian is actually probably a better movie than Avatar. That's that's neither here nor there. The point being is Jimmy C made a two point something billion dollar film. That is the point. Is I don't care what I, internet culture thinks. That I was the success. One thing, real quick. When when you said 
We, we called Rob's dad. I was about to be like, to buy you guys alcohol to wash away <laughs> the misery of watching the movie? No. Well, How was the movie? We need a drink. But this is, like, I don't want to bring family into this too much, though. But, like, Rob and I have talked a lot on Cinematis about Rob's dad. And that, like, Rob's dad is, like, the perfect, perfect general movie goer. And that, like, Rob and I will talk, like, we will crap on like general blockbusters and his father will turn around and be like, yeah, I really like that movie. And that is, and Rob, tell me if I'm wrong. Cause I don't want to bring your father into this. No, you're absolutely right. He voices opinion. He's the best example of, like I said before, I, the, the mass public I was discussing of the people who are confused at the end of solo when Darth Maul shows up. My, my dad is the perfect example of, you know, if I have to think during a movie, I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> and that's the thing is that like avatar made two billion dollars i don't care how much the internet quote unquote hates avatar and as somebody who hates avatar i'm allowed to say this avatar two and three i can't speak for five six seven eight nine ten like jimmy c has planned but avatar two will be a smash i don't know how much of the diminished returns of that will be because of the pandemic Uh, Every movie is having diminished returns because of the pandemic. But if Avatar 2 was released in a different universe where the pandemic didn't happen, it would be a smash film. Because guess what? It was a barn burner of a film that's to this day only like second or third in line of like highest grossing film of all time, both domestically and internationally. And that's the thing where I get so frustrated with internet discourse. And that's kind of the overall thesis of this conversation is that like avatar made two point something billion dollars worldwide, but it's merchandise sales were in the toilet. Like I can imagine Chris could probably give you a very, very easy number to be like, when you go to like flea markets and toy shows, Nobody is selling Avatar merchandise because nobody cares. But yet at the same. Yeah, 100% correct. I mean, I, I remember what they look like, but that's from like 15 years ago, whatever it was. Yeah. Exactly. But if you go and look, and I know Chris has said this on this very podcast. If you try to buy Rise of Skywalker merchandise, guess what? It's being sold at the premium because people are interested in it. And that's the thing that's so frustrating about just gauging the interest in this sort of thing. And where we, like, again, whether you like Kathleen Kennedy or you hate her, she's in the same boat as we are. Yet she has an infinite more amount of, like, data. Money. Yes, but just as much data that is telling her the same amount of things that it's telling us. In that, like, oh, the internet hates the rise of Skywalker, yet... It's merchandise now on the like the secondhand market is at a premium, and the film was a financial success. Yes, are there diminished returns, but it was a financial success. And yet, I don't which know is how, why. Which is you know, but but you're like you're which is why we're doomed as a culture. But continue. <laughs> no, I, I yes, think Chris, I, everything I, sucks. I love Movies both suck. of you were absolutely check out Cinemonities for that every week. <laughs> but, but I, I, I think I love what both of you guys are saying is that, you know, you you have these two metrics, like we've been saying, the financial and the narrative, I guess, that is the best way to just summarize it. And all this Internet discourse combines them 
in an unprofessional and uncombinable way. It's like they they choose, you know, one thing. They like, I don't like this movie, and the internet doesn't like this movie. And then, you know, we have some numbers to back it up. You know, there's they're making the wrong assumptions in combining them. I think to some extent, and that's why we're doomed as a culture that you, you shouldn't be combining but, those things. But I think it comes down to like it's disingenuous. And I think that's the problem I have with, like, the internet now. And it's not just with the internet. Like, again, I don't blame Midnight's Edge. They're making a buck off this. Like, they have every right to do that. For the record, I've said this before in years past. I do not want anybody deplatformed. I don't want anybody regulated. I believe in freedom of speech, for better or worse. Well, I have a problem. Exactly. But the problem I have, this goes back to kind of the question that Chris didn't answer for me. Why is it that the casual Star Wars fans, why do they believe the narrative that sequel trilogy bad Mandalorian good? Because they watched the sequel trilogy. Is the sequel? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. But this is the question I have for Chris now as a diehard Star Wars fan. Is the sequel trilogy any worse than the episode of The Mandalorian where we have, like, a confused, awkward-looking Pedro Pascal watching Bill Burr shoot an Imperial officer? Like, is the sequel trilogy it's not, any worse it's not, in that moment? It's, it's not, but you're you're asking, like, I, I know this is going to sound ridiculous, like, given what anyone on this uh, panel of people knows about me, but you're asking a preposterously objective person right now. And no, they're both equally bad. There are some parts of The Mandalorian that are somewhat better than the sequel trilogy in various aspects. But The Mandalorian is, in my humble opinion, more or less rather ho-hum and average. And there's a few interesting moments across two seasons. That is summed up more than I got out of the sequel trilogy. And it never made me really... um, question what they were doing there's some dumb stuff in there but they didn't like do weird stuff with the like it's it the problem with the sequel trilogy for me is it's called episode seven eight and nine and it's narratively not episode seven eight nine it's narratively a reboot is it though like can you can you like honestly say the last jedi is a reboot it is though. It's like it, we're literally starting from square one with the empire again because the audience is so dumb that they confuse <laughs> the first order with the empire. It's but that, that was JJ Abrams audience says audience dumb. We need we need Captain uh, uh, <laughs> Captain Kirk and Spock in here because nobody knows what's going on besides that. And we're gonna have stormtrooper. Like it's just not episode seven, eight, and nine. It's a remake of something. It's a remake reimagining start over with some of their same old actors for some reason, because some segment of the audience will remember who they are, but not remember what happened in those movies. I have a question. Now, you think that the four, seven, eight and nine would have been better if, say, if they were if they actually labeled them as episode no. 20, 21 and 23 if they did that but they didn't have if they took place in a completely different time period and didn't reference I think directly original trilogy characters then maybe i think that would have worked because this way that they, they didn't have to hold on to i think it was too late to do a, a sequel from the original trilogy it was too late the actors were too old and you could sit there and do st- uh, standalone stories with them it would have yep, worked I've, so I, much better Joe, I've never agreed more with anything you've ever said. It was because that was something that was, like that. 
I think that <laughs> that would have been a little bit better and a little bit easier for people to swallow. The one thing that bothered me about the sequel trilogy, besides using the old characters, Han, Leia, Chewie, was that it was disjointed. You had, when you sit there and you look at the original trilogy and even the prequels, you could almost follow it going straight through. You have one that was almost like Star Wars in Force Awakens, but then next thing you know, it, it totally turns Star Wars on its ear with The Last Jedi. There Total it is. different tone. There was no, there was no continuation. Yeah, Ray was getting her Jedi training and everything like that. Yeah, that was some continuation of the story, but it didn't push the narrative too. It didn't push the narrative far enough. It was too much stuff was happening in too little of time in that movie. Exactly. It's more of a. It's it's literally. It's more of a creatively bankrupt episode ten, eleven, and twelve rather than a seven, eight, nine. It's like if they if they just you know what I mean. It's like there's too much missing in between for it to be seven, eight, and nine. And whatever happened in between did nothing to progress the story in an interesting way. It's just know, weird. No, it's the it's the um, aftermath trilogy books. I mean, it's the Tron trilogy, and anything. I'll never accept anything else. It's fine. I'm set in my ways. Uh, no, but yeah, yeah, but that's after the the aftermath trilogy. I'm glad you brought it up. The aftermath trilogy is what you come up with when you realize that it's 2014 and Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford aren't getting any younger. So we're gonna make this movie, and then we're gonna fill in the gaps later on in a way that sort of links up to it. But the end goal well, no, they don't is even linking fill in up the to gaps. I mean, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like when I read um. Those books, I'm like, they threw so much out there that they're like, just cast the widest possible net to set up anything we might want to do in the next 15 years. Because there's talk of Thrawn in there. There's talk of so much stuff. There's even an entire plot line around Vader's lightsaber being found that goes. Yeah, nowhere. that's. Yeah, we're still waiting on that to show up. Um, uh, It's probably not going to. Yeah, no, it'll show up at some point. Um, okay. show, no, Like I said, I. Lucasfilm isn't as dumb like as we all like to think they are. Um, the problem is that they're just kind of, like I like to. Okay, this. Oh God, have any of you ever seen the movie Battleship with with Liam Neeson and uh, oh, Taylor? Rihanna? Yes, Rihanna. <laughs> it's weird that she's the last person I think of. You have want me to call Ben you... real quick, Zach? <laughs> he talks to me about that movie all the time. <laughs> I. But this I is the, this is this is the concept. Concept. This is the point I'm trying to make because I re- I think I told Rob this like, a couple you weeks ago. Like I picked that up. Yes, Liam Neeson's in that movie. Um, sure. The catalyst. There's a, there's a chicken burrito involved very early in the film. That's the catalyst for the events of the film. Um, the point being, this is how I think of Lucasfilm. Wait, what? It'll <laughs> <laughs> be an episode of Cinematis at some point. If I, if I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. There, there's a lot of screeching to a halt moments in this well, episode. Well, I know. Just around but this is. Ship. But this is this is the thing that I like to think of. Like I recently rewatched that movie because like there was an Fye sale. It was like on sale, so like I got it. And I kind of I'm del- I know I forget what it was. I think it was John Justice, uh, host of My Nerd World, author of the Embark Saga Empire. I think Empire is the correct word. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I, I think you'd appreciate it being referred to as an empire. Yes. Um, he tweeted about it recently, and this is why I think of when it comes to Lucasfilm. There's a moment in that film where we have like the aliens and they shoot off, I don't even know what you would call it, missiles. And one of the battleships, and I don't know my naval terminology, has like one of these like like 
guns on the, like the deck of the ship and it's like in this like alien whatever you want to call it ship is shooting off like dozens of like missiles and this turret is trying to pick off as many of them as they can and it can only physically do so much before one of them like lands onto the ship and that's how i see lucasfilm is that lucasfilm is just like is both the alien ship and the naval like the u.s naval ship is that it's both firing so many things off and at the same time trying to pick off as many in this at the same time that it's inevitable but a couple things just kind of fall through the cracks. And that's why I think of when I think of Lucasfilm. They're trying to do so much. It's impossible that they're able to catch everything that they lob up in the air. Maybe it's maybe like a juggler, maybe is a better analogy for this. They're trying to juggle so many things that it's inevitable that some things will fall through the cracks, but eventually they will pick it up. Um and that's the thing too, is that like I, 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 as somebody who very early on in the Mandalorian, if we all forget like my opinions on that show a year and a half ago, I summarize that show as the adventures of not Boba Fett and his sidekick merchandising opportunity. Like, lest we forget that. And that's the thing. It's like for the same reason why we look at the Mandalorian as this grand, grand success of the Star Wars franchise that is unparalleled. There has never been a greater thing in the Star Wars franchise except five years earlier when we had Rogue One. But we won't talk about that. Rogue One never existed. Darth Vader in the hallway here of Canto Four it means nothing. Nothing anymore. Shh, don't talk about that. Luke Skywalker, Dark Troopers. Um, it comes down to the point of like the Mandalorian. Like we like in that Atlantic article, oh, it's the idea of the journey and not the destination. Have we forgotten Luke Skywalker at the end with the Dark Troopers? That's the only reason why that show has has a Chris. You don't count. You and I are such super fans. We don't count anymore. Lucasfilm has like, like we are deep deep into their coffers at this point. They've, they 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 count on our money on a yearly basis. Well, um, yeah, okay. You're probably the, going somewhere with this, but like, but, let me stay for categorically for the record. My favorite moment of rogue one is not darth vader mauling a bunch of rebel soldiers because people are so dumb that it sickens me in the fandom but it's literally the moment where Jin is in sagrera's hideout and she gets this message from her father talking about how his life was wasted by being an imperial slave and having to build this death star and she whoa, 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 and they're both whoa, 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 you know whoa, 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 this whoa, whoa. is whoa imperial slave don't you mean imperial boba fett starship that's what I meant. My thank you for correcting me. I hope I'm not canceled. But my point is, like moments like that are why Rogue One has a soul. Please continue. I'm sorry for interrupting you, Chris. I had to make that. Much like Zenger, I had to make the joke over undercutting your point. I apologize. Wait. So, um. So I asked was, for it by using the the S word. Does that mean Anakin was just a Boba Fett ship in Episode One? Boba Fett starship. Yes. Sorry, my bad. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to say the word the S word anymore in Star Wars. I it's can't Boba wait. Fett starship. Just bleeped out in the name. Can I? I mean, update. Oh my God. You're, you're not going to remember where you were, Zach. But I want to literally point out for the record that the original um, Kenner Slave One on the front of the box literally it doesn't say starship. It says Slave One, and then under that in big bold letters, Boba Fett's spaceship. Whoa! <laughs> Isn't that great? That should be art. Like I want that framed. Like that should be like the Museum of Modern Art. Like that should be like, like that. Like someone should get like one of those OG Kenner boxes, and that should be there juxtaposed next to like the Lego version. Like, I have the, it. Like, 
I have it behind me, of course, as you all might assume. And, you know, it's a real important... <laughs> It's it's a it's you real it's a real important reminder that even back in 1980, the when the biggest words on the box were slave one, it was confusing to adults. <laughs> Do we know whose like brainchild that was to name that ship slave one back in like 1978 or 79? I'm embarrassed. To say is, that, is, is that a Joe Johnson decision? Is that something that would be revealed like in a J.W. Rinsler book? <laughs> Like, do we know that Star Wars fans whose whose idea it was to call it Slave One? Like, like, who who can we even ask that question to? Like, would it be Joe Johnston? Would it be J.W. Rinsler? Like, 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 would it be Gary Kurtz? God bless his soul. No, would Gary. It be Steve in accounting. <laughs> it's it's Alan Ladd Jr. It was his idea. Um, okay, no, but the point. Thank you, Chris. Um, the uh, yes, you got me off topic. But the point being is that, like, I just feel the Star Wars fandom now is just like the equivalent of a child with like, like an infant with like dangling keys in front of it. I it's swore that, like, you were about it, to say a gun. A gun. <laughs> <laughs> if only, if only, um, a gun where it shoots itself in the foot constantly. I, um, I, I, I was just like, where, where are you going with this? Because I'm intrigued. <laughs> But this is the thing, though, like, and this is where I kind of want to bring it to also like contemporary Star Wars news. Um, and this is where I think Chris and I become and, and Zanger, too, um, more of a focal point of this, not to forsake you, Joe. Um, but like, let's take, for example, like you have the idea of the diehard Star Wars fan. And I want to ask both Joe and Rob because they're kind of tangentially connected to the podcast and hostages um, right now. Yes, they're kind of like what Zenger was in 2017, unknowingly. Um, there's never been a greater case of Stockholm Syndrome than there is with Zenger in the Knights of Vader podcast. Um, is that wrong, Zenger? No, it's not. It's it's disturbingly factual. Um, all right, but like, I want to ask Joe first. Would it be fair to say that Zenger, Chris, and I are hardcore Star Wars fans? I can say, I can say unequivocally, yeah, you guys are hardcore okay. Star Wars fans. All right, Rob, are Chris, Zenger, and I hardcore Star Wars fans? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, the yes, yeah. <laughs> There's no re reason to give an analogy. Yes. <laughs> okay. And this is the thing that goes back to Disney Lucasfilm thinking of the Star Wars fan base. I would. I, I know Chris definitely saw this. I can't speak for Zenger, Joe, or Rob. You saw the Disney Hotel Starline Changilla Express theme park experience right i need to shorten that title i don't even know how to google that right now <laughs> <laughs> but chris you know what i'm talking about right the it's just a hotel at uh, the theme park yeah it's not just a hotel. No, no 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 it's not just a hotel it's like a three thousand dollar a night experience which is basically amounts from all i am able to gather online basically amounts to something like three or four of the lightsaber experiences you can have in galaxy's edge combined. But, okay. hotel. Yes. That is a super simplistic, uh, cynical perspective on this, but to spend three grand a night, give or take, they haven't given exact price points yet, but the range is somewhere in the ballpark of like two to three grand a night. They don't have the balls to sure. <laughs> the question is prove me wrong. But this is the thing, though, I have interest. But this is the thing, though, and this is where I want Chris to kind of explain or I want him to reconcile all of these for me because I don't think anyone but Chris can. 
if you're a Disney Lucasfilm, how do you again think about? It, you have your hardcore fans of Star Wars. How do you get those people on board if your understanding of the sequel trilogy is that it's an absolute disaster and the Disney Starliner Changella Express hotel experience for three grand a night is exclusively steeped in the sequel trilogy? If you're a hardcore fan that believes that you that only the, the only good Star Wars is Star Wars and Empire, how do you expect anybody on the face of this earth to dole, dole out three grand a night for this experience other than YouTube influencers I, who are going to be competent? I like I'm going to keep this really short, but but uh, like I want to live in a world where like that's there's an easy answer to that. And, and the answer would be that they they won't do that. But it really just like I like I don't know, like I, I collect the sort of older Star Wars stuff and I puts me in a crowd of people that are on average probably 20 years older than me in that community and almost across almost across the board they all think the sequel trilogy is terrible but you know they've all been to galaxy's edge numerous maybe more than once for a, a lot of them and it's just it's just literally a matter of they made a theme park about star Wars and it's well within my means to go to it. So I'm going to go to it. I'm not going to protest it. And I, and, and I don't know, may do I wish people voted with their dollars a little bit more perhaps, but for a lot of these people, it's just, it's, and maybe the hotel's a little different than just going to galaxy's edge, but like, it's not a, like people like it's a cultural phenomenon to go to Disneyland for a vacation. So these people are going there and spending money because if you're going to go to Florida or California and hit the theme parks and you're a star Wars fan, even if you hate the sequel trilogy, you're going to go to the star Wars theme park. So like it's, they're catching these people anyways, because, okay, that's okay. Chris, you summed it up beautifully. Like you summed it up beautifully in, in, in how you phrased it. You might not be aware of it though. But essentially how I'm distilling this, and please tell me if you're if I'm wrong, is that the rhetoric and the narrative means nothing at the end of the day. And that the 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 fans are there regardless of what you produce, whether it be the rise of Skywalker, the Mandalorian, the last Jedi, the fans will come out at the end. Like, like if you're inclined to like any of this, you're in it for a dollar. Or you're in it for 10 grand. Like, like, and that's the thing. Like, it comes down to you're either in it a little bit or you're in it for all. It, 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 that's the thing. Like, if you hate the sequel trilogy, there's literally no reason for you to go to Galaxy's Edge. There's nothing there for you. There's nothing. Um, it, well, there's nothing there that's based around the OT. There is. The, you have, they, and there, it's calculated that there is that you can walk up to a one to one Millennium Falcon and like you can't but replicate that's, but that that's, experience. But anywhere. that's, no, but that's TFA and Millennium Falcon. It, and it's Jedi not though. In what, in what percentage would you say? One percent to less than the five. radar dish. If yeah, you're a the radar Wars, dish. But, what but per- this is the thing. You though. can't even probably it's, see that from standing in front of it. It, it doesn't matter though, because if it's, it does it's, matter because it's 100 percent that design. And the, it's, it's but, by design that they put it there so that those old people will go. But that's the thing, though. But, like, at the end of the day, if you're an OG Star Wars fan, that radar dish means everything. That radar dish tells you what era you're looking at, except for the Rise of Skywalker. It, which I, which I, I do want to know. I don't agree. I, I don't agree. disagree. Yeah. I have to disagree, Zach. I have to disagree, I, too. No. no. <laughs> a Millennium Falcon is a Millennium Falcon is a Millennium Falcon. 
All right. It's mostly it's mostly radar original dish. trilogy Millennium Falcon. All right. It's it doesn't matter about the radar dish. It but going once you on, go, but, but once you going, go on the ride though, it's Hondo Onaka. Like like who care? Like I don't care about Honda. I know, but if Han was in the picture, would you really be getting behind the wheel yes. in any? Yes. I, I, oh, I, I, you can. What's I do. The scenario? I, to, to this day, I do not understand how you make a Millennium Falcon ride and do not have Han Solo there. Because because no what version of Han Solo do you have? It doesn't matter. It's Harrison. It's, it's, you can call it the Harrison Detours. Ford experience. Detours. <laughs> <Harrison Park>. <laughs> <laughs> could you, you imagine? Could, like like listen. There's nothing more cringy than like. The video, like, uh, like, look at even when you have an actor who's like not seventy and interested in doing their job. Like, they refashioned Jurassic, <laughs> they refashioned the Jurassic World ride, Jurassic Park ride. They, it's basically the same ride. They added some screens and stuff, and now they have Chris Pratt yelling at you on monitors. It's some <laughs> of the most cringy stuff you could ever find out there. A, a Harrison Ford equivalent to that would is nothing I ever want to see. I'm I just like the I I feel like the point of that is almost more like to me it's almost more like being able to it's almost like being able to visit an active set of a Star Wars movie like that's the appeal of Galaxy's Edge like I have no like I like they are sure it has a theoretical place in placement in the t- canonical timeline but like it that is it that's just less relevant to me it's but some random is, but, planet but I, but with think, the fall but, but I think you've proven my point though is that the movie, the anything, con- any contemporary Star Wars, and at this point, that could literally be any date. That could be any date. It could be 1980 forward, 1983 forward, pretty much anything post-1977, is that it doesn't matter what Lucasfilm does as long as it has the word Star Wars on it, nobody cares. If, if, if all it matters is that it's the Millennium Falcon— then saying and considering that the the words Millennium Falcon and the iconography of that ship are synonymous with the words Star Wars, it means literally nothing. Disney does matter. I totally get what they, you're saying. I totally get what you're saying, and I understand that from a fiscally responsible perspective, that makes sense. But what kind of world is it where these same old dudes who are bringing their families to Galaxy's Edge paying for all their like grown kids to go hang out in Florida with them for a weekend at the Star Wars theme park and and yet they're doing that yet at the same time they have nothing but scorn and creative disregard for the films Disney is putting out it's not the ideals it's I'm just all I'm trying to say is they're financially viable it's just <laughs> it, it, it's just not the ideal universe for this product. There's a but, world in which someone they could make a film that is creatively satisfying to the actual fans. I, I think, it, but I, again, I don't disagree with you. Like you're clearly right because reality speaks for itself. Um, Galaxy's Edge is proving to be as much a success as anybody could ever want to be it's maybe not as sex uh, as successful as what hogsmeade was for universal back in 2010 because that to this day is still like one of the most inexplicable things to ever exist in like theme park lore um but that's a conversation for another day it comes down to is that like galaxy's edge is another example of like letting the numbers speak for themselves it goes to show that like no matter how much you hate the sequel trilogy you are going to go there because it is star wars mecca and I don't mean for that to be blasphemous. My true version of the Millennium Falcon is the one at the end of Return of the Jedi where there is no radar dish because it got <laughs> broken off by um, by Lando. So you, if, my, if, 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 if I oh don't have that one, 
when I go to Galaxy's Edge, I will rip the thing off myself. <laughs> fun, fun fact, the the idea that the Millennium Falcon had to get a new radar dish is the most canonical connection the sequel trilogy has to Return of the Jedi. I, I get I'm Sure, I might be able to argue that. <laughs> um, that's um, more offensive than Zach's giving it credit, but that's fine. Sure. No, I, no I'm not even going to argue with that. Like, like I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Like, I want to make another joke based off Zangers. My own mechanical, canonical version of the Millennium Falcon is the triangular radar dish that they had for it in the early Mattel toy leaks for the Rise of Skywalker in, like, 2018. Perfect. Deep cut. Perfect. Deep I cut. think my ideal Millennium Falcon is they make it enormous and out of Legos so, Chris, we the people can act as the wrong-scale <laughs> figures. The wrong-scale wrong ones? Okay, perfect. Yes, awesome. Did you, here's how – okay, I'm glad you brought that up again because let's – Here's how, like, sh like these people need to really shut up about the scale of that Republic. Oh trip. God! Did you know? Did you know Are that? Really? Oh God damn it, Rob! Why did you have to do this? Did, did you? Did you all know that in when they filmed the Empire Strikes Back, the 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 giant Millennium Falcon that was built out by men out of wood and nails that existed in Echo Base <laughs> while they were filming The Empire Strikes Back was actually 75% scale. And if you actually watch the shot where Han's working on it and Chewie's in the in the cockpit, Chewie looks ridiculously big because even that is not a full-scale one-to-one Millennium Falcon that they built that is filmed in The Empire Strikes Back. Is there such a thing as a one-to-one -one scale Millennium Falcon? Do we even know what yes, that is? Yes, it's at Galaxy's Edge. No, it's not. My my true Millennium Falcon is the one from the solo movie. <laughs> the one after the one after they do the castle run where it's all destroyed. I'm just saying they knowingly made it seventy percent for filming the Empire Strikes Back. So never talk to me again about your Legos being out of scale. That's all I'm saying. Oh my okay, I want Rob okay, Rob considering he's the one that's the furthest outside of the fandom. Rob, based on everything that I said and Chris said, what is your take on this? Does, like, I just want your take on it as someone who's who's the residential filthy casual. Also, uh, what is your true Millennium Falcon? Like, which the, one do you want to go see? <laughs> okay, <laughs> perfect. I want, perfect. I want a small Lego one that a kid can accidentally fall on and break. <laughs> <laughs> so just a regular Lego one. Got yeah, it. that's fine. No, so so you're looking for my opinion on the um the the theme park stuff? Well, yeah, I, well, I want your opinion on the fact that, like, if you have, like Chris phrased it, men in their 50s and 60s oh, sure, who are going sure. to Galaxy's Edge, regardless of the fact that it is a physical locale of everything they hate about Star Wars, and yet they're still going there spending thousands of dollars on it and have no problem spending thousands of dollars, are they hypocrites? And that is the is my thesis of, if that's the case, if these fans who are diehards Going to going to Galaxy's Edge, even though it's a physical representation of everything they hate about Star Wars post 2012, is it hypocritical in that it boils down to it doesn't matter what Disney does for better or for worse, whether it be Mandalorian or Last Jedi, as long as it has the Star Wars logo, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Sure, sure. Well, I. I definitely don't think those people are hypocritical, and I want to explain why, but I do agree that it does not matter what Disney does. And the reason I think that, as long as it has Star Wars, I mean, the reason I think that is because these, the people who, you know, grew up on the original trilogy, even I think people in, you know, my generation who grew up more on the prequels, or at least they came out when they were alive and watched the 
uh, original trilogy as kids. You know, even the um, the Atlantic article gets uh, gets touches on it, where you know Star Wars is this universe you can live in. It it gives you this feeling of Sonder that no matter where you look, you know that that character or that thing has such a deep story behind it. It feels like a universe you live in, and I think that's what a lot of this boils down to: that these fans really, really love their original Star Wars because it gave them that feeling of being able to live in that universe. And when they get new Star Wars that doesn't exactly fit their image of the universe or they don't think they can walk right into it, they get a little angry. But I, I have no problem, you know, they might not say it explicitly, but somewhere deep down, even if they hate, like you said, this this uh, new trilogy and this theme park is the, the you know, embodiment and, and physical representation of that new trilogy, the the positive feeling of nostalgia and physically stepping into that world, which is something they've wanted to do since a, being a child, will always win out over those negative feelings. And that's why I don't think they're hypocritical, because I think everybody should strive to be happier than they are angrier. But at the same time, that's what Disney's banking on. They're banking on that that feeling of nostalgia and that feeling of living in the Star Wars universe will never, ever go away. So I'm, I'm kind of with both of you in some weird kind of sense that, you know, it might not matter. It makes me think that, you know, like I think back, um, what was that, the the Marvel, the Mandarin, where, you know, the Mandarin's like the fake in Iron Man 3, and you have people still buying the action figures going, well, I'm just going to pretend he's the real Mandarin. Like, they'll they'll fit whatever narrative they want to with these physical representations to feel better about themselves and better about their experience. So I think there's some level of, you know, Star Wars as a whole is going to win out over Star Wars as a specific point in time. He is describing a generally accurate view of the general populace, which I despise and can't disagree with more. But like he's <laughs> accurately representing how things will play out in the real world. And and, you know, like if it makes money, they're going to keep doing the same thing. It's just that, like, I, I just you know, I just have to believe a potential universe exists where the content isn't this contentious and is a little bit more thoughtfully created because you you know you don't we it's not it's not healthy to to have directors putting out sound bites out there that are like yeah maybe it would have been good if we had a plan like that's just you don't need to be in that universe of silliness that's all like that's a recent quote we had to deal with jj being like eh, a plan might have been good but okay, this okay. And this is that is a topic for a whole other discussion. But at this point, I cannot rely. I, I objectively cannot rely on anything JJ says because he's bitter. I he is somebody who feels who did not want to direct episode nine, who was begrudgingly dragged into it as a personal favor after they fired the madman, and then he had the film basically taken out of his hands. Right, so but I, when, they, point, when you're I saying firing the madman, like there, but like his 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 core, the core, the core argument of his, the core thesis of his comment that a plan would have been good, whether it's his plan or Lucasfilm's plan, is correct either way. I I don't know about that. I again, when JJ makes those con again, I somebody who's never trusted JJ Abrams, I I don't trust a single thing he says. I don't I trust anything tr he says either. But like the fact that he's saying it, but the fact that it he's doesn't... making that public comment means that there's dissension amongst the ranks. It means that they didn't have a good experience working together. It's it's just there's something wrong with the way they're running the show, creatively speaking. I... But if that's the case, then then we have to then it applies across the board because it's the same management that gave us the Mandalorian. Think about it. the Mandalorian and the Rise of Skywalker were both being made at the exact same time. So for the same reason why we can attack Lucasfilm for saying, oh, there was no plan for the sequel trilogy, we have to also say that they're running the Mandalorian the exact same way. 
Like the same could be said. I, I kind of I, I agree. I think it's more Actually, a matter I disagree. of I, I think it's more a matter of a roll of the dice that the Mandalorian turned out better than the sequel trilogy. It's just that like can they identify what was different about that scenario and learn from it? I don't know. Joe, elaborate. Uh, I disagree because if you sit there and you look at it, what's going on across the pond at Marvel, they had one person who calls the shots. He's the one that decides what's does and has uniform uniformity about all of their movies that are coming out. So one does this, this is going to follow into that, that's going to follow into that. You sit there and you look at Star Wars, there's there was nothing like that. There was nothing there's nothing that exists like that. You know, you have they brought in John Favreau, he's a showrunner. He's the one that he's the one that makes the decision. This is how it's going to pan out. He reports to Kathleen Kennedy. You know, Kathleen Kennedy was supposed to be the Kevin Feige of of Star Wars and that just didn't pan out. And that's where um, you're going to see the big the big issue right there because how can how come they can work it out with interconnected movies for 10 years and they can't even figure out Star Wars? It's well, it's not a it's leadership. Not only that but not only that but Kevin Foggy is a bigger Star Wars nerd than Kathleen Kennedy times a million. Like like I don't I'm I'm not an MCU defender. I think the MCU is creatively bankrupt as well but like and of course oh the box office numbers say otherwise so it must be high art but but you know i think it's emblematic of like everything that's wrong with our culture it's just like i could i could fall asleep during half those movies don't get me wrong but like foggy like has a better handle on the style of storytelling and the eccentricities of the universe like than kathleen kennedy does about star wars so these things like it's not surprising these things play out the way they do i just i just think there could be a more healthy relationship between lucasfilm and the directors they hire where they understand the vision rather than just tr put trust behind a name and that ryan goes, johnson that goes that goes to the to the studio head and that goes to her where she should have that in hand. She should be able to know what's going on. She should be able to course correct. Yeah. Before you know, Foggy would, Foggy, Foggy would never say there is, there's no source material for the expanded universe of star Wars. You know what I mean? Like he no. knows he's Foggy knows about like nineties star Wars books and he's doing, he's the doing that job for Marvel. You know, it's a and, weird world. And he can sit there and he could cherry pick whatever he wants from any of the Marvel books. And he has carte blanche to do it. And the, the, she has carte blanche to do it with the expanded universe too. She's the only reason why that those aren't canon anymore. You got to know no what else. it is to pull. You got to know what it is to exactly to, to pick out the vow to cherry pick it. You have to know what it is. It it's pretty. It's, I mean, it's straightforward to me. It's just like I, I she does. She she's a, a producer and an executive producer who does a great job at that. But like we shouldn't expect her to have a handle on the eccentricities of the Star Wars universe, knowing her resume. And that's where I think that's where this gets really weird because it's like, I, she obviously does the, the critical elements of her job role when it comes to f feature film production and fantastically, it's just that like, we just like a lot of us were just expecting more more reliance on the pre-existing narrative for that story. I think that's really what it comes down to. For me, it's just for me and a lot of the people I talk to, it's just the there wasn't enough intention and weight and the a desire to continue the previously established story. Like you were saying earlier, Zach, it's because they were the attitude was that the prequels were bad in 2012. Maybe that's the biggest problem with all of this. I don't know. But but at the same time, though, clearly they have 
they've learned from that because look at how much they've cherry picked. Like think about Thrawn's being lined up as the next big bad of star Wars. Like whether it be the Ahsoka show, the book of Boba Fett, Mandalorian season three, he's clearly being primed as that. And that's, and guess what? That is the Thrawn trilogy, the OG Thrawn trilogy. Like that is that. So like, yeah, but what, but you know, but, but at the same time, we like, when we say Thrawn is being set up as this, we're talking about a Thrawn that is not the character that you and I think of when we think of Thrawn. But okay, I, I, you're both right and wrong because you're, you're, you're right in one degree because a, when we think of Thrawn, we think of the character from three books in the early nineties who had maybe what? 20% 20% of the focal point of those three books. Um, Cause everybody forgets the majority of those books is like, like very much around other characters. Not, even though we call them the Thrawn books, he is the antagonist. He is not a protagonist of those books. Um, and then, so, and you're also right. In the other regard as well. And that, like, if you look at Thrawn on rebels versus his novels, he is written very differently. Yeah. But, but at the same – thank you, Zenger. And yet at the same time too, I think you're wrong in the regard is that like Thrawn – at the same day, is Thrawn, as long as Thrawn is a master technician who has blue skin and red eyes, I – says I, perhaps every now and then. Exactly. <laughs> Once again, thank you, Zenger. Um, it's the idea of like who – it's coming down to just – it's that Galaxy's Edge argument you gave me. Doesn't matter what incarnation of Thrawn we get, as long as we get Thrawn. Like you're, that's you're, what Star you're Wars asking the difference of. Well, you're I asking the, the difference Rebels of one. Yeah, but it's no, like I want what the perc- novel one. <laughs> what exactly. percentage of the audience knows the difference? I guess is what you're asking. And like I'm happily placed among the percentage that knows the difference. And I sure I'm sorry for everyone who doesn't. Well, sure, and I agree with you though. But at the same time, though, it's like as somebody who read the OG Thrawn trilogy, he's he's a fun character because he's different. He's it's nice to see a Star Wars antagonist that isn't just simply evil space wizard. He's someone more based in re- in our reality than the normal Star Wars reality, and it's fun to see those sort of just like ideals like butt heads. And that's what makes Thrawn a compelling character, and what's made him kind of endure. But at the same time, though, is that like, did any, again, as somebody who was a child for the majority of, well, almost the entirety of the prequel trilogy era, did anybody really care about Grand Admiral Thrawn from 1999 to 2005? I did. I did. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm going to say, I'm going to say I did too. And because you know how I like, like, I, like, I so badly wanted them to reference those books that like, even when. Like, let me tell you, like, like there, you know, even when, like, and even when stupid moments happen, like in in the wonderful 2001 game, uh, Jedi Knight, Jedi Outcast, on when you you go to Narshada and the bar open, you walk into the bar and the bartender is a chiss. I was like, oh my god, it's a chiss. It's just like Grand Admiral Thrawn. I was so starved for that content in those early 2000s years that I was like, wanting there to be more to that story but you know that but a, a a bartender chiss in a in a 2001 video game is more of a nod to the expanded universe than we got in the entire sequel trilogy bear in mind so it's just rude 
Neil Scanlon's the worst thing that ever happened to Star Wars next to J.J. Uh, Abrams. <laughs> and, you know, these aliens, it's just it's just like, you know, they they're purposefully distancing themselves from the best stuff that ever happened. And, you know, it's off putting to a large segment of the fan base. And it doesn't need to be that way. That's all I'm saying. It's not it's the the, the numbers are never going to tell them. That it doesn't need to be that way, but like culturally, it doesn't need to be this ridiculous and debated and terrible. And I hate to use the word, but toxic. Like it just, <laughs> it doesn't have to be like this. That's all I'm trying to say. Fair enough. Um, all right. There's just one final thing. Like we talked a lot about this when it comes to just like qualitative versus quantitative arguments as to how Star Wars is deemed successful in an era where we really don't have concrete numbers to point at. Um, so I have a, a qualitative argument to make. And once again, I'm going to lie. I'm going to kind of like lean on Rob when it comes to my judgment of this. And, and Chris to a kind of the same degree, but a little bit less. Um, considering that like we do not know the numbers of like streaming numbers when it comes to the Mandalorian. Um, and we, even if we did have numbers, we don't know what that number is. It's like, oh, if it gets X amount of viewers – it's in the black or the red. So, again, raw data can only tell us so much. And we don't even have that. But this is one of those qualitative arguments that I think is absolutely fascinating. And we talked about this, I think, I forget when. Maybe it was definitely last year. Um, maybe as early as maybe like The Mandalorian season one. And this is my favorite argument to show you that The Mandalorian is not as successful as it is pop culture and the internet likes to think it is and this is what it, and this is my point if the mandalorian was truly successful you would have seen dinjarin and grogu aka big whiskey at galaxy's edge and the mandalorian has been out now for almost two years and guess what there is not single there's not, not been a single dinjarin walk around character or baby yoda big whiskey meet and greet and you know how easy it would be for them to sit there do something like that you know how easy it would be into any of those theme parks even if it wasn't in galaxy's edge like even like just, hollywood they, studios you're well, right that it'd be easy they just don't want to be viewed as reactionary in that way they it's, don't it's like two, it's two it's almost two years later there's no such thing as reactionary two years later and all it would think about they have all those costume pieces for dinjarin they could 3D print those in is Joe Yazo, as someone who's 3D prints things, how long would it take a multi-billion dollar multinational company like the Walt Disney Company to 3D print a Jinjarin costume that was screen accurate? Screen accurate, you're probably looking at let's say if anything, paint and everything, you're looking at about a week. That's it. Exactly. If they if this show was as truly culturally relevant in milestone for the world you have had that walk around character not even within i'd say a month of the season one ending not even and the fact that they haven't done that yet leads me to believe this show is nowhere near successful on a quantitative level as we're leading as we're led to believe and i and this is what i want ron because i know chris probably has an answer to this but i want him to kind of gestate on it for a moment Rob, once I say this, does that argument make sense to you as a relative normie? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, something that was said earlier in this conversation made me think, um, I think you guys were mentioning something about deleting the sequel trilogy or what parts are going to get deleted. That's one of the things that I, I thought is, you know, well, they could easily just, as you were saying, at Galaxy's Edge, it's such a physical manifestation of the sequel trilogy. Well, rip some of that out and just put in some stuff from The Mandalorian, if that's so successful. Um, uh, Chris makes an interesting point, though, about reactionary and about the timeline of these things, which which I, I know what you're saying, Zach, that it, it has been a lot of time. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a tough one. That's uh, it's a kind of um, uh, something that makes me think of, you know, I, I'm with you. Why haven't they done that yet? And the fact pandemic. that I, I, the I pandemic don't care. is why the that's fine. Is why. That's OK. Then why didn't they announce it in January 2020? The pandemic, the pandemic was not here yet. The show premiered in November of 2019. They could have had, like you said, Joe, they could have had a 3D printed costume done and they could have had that character walking around. At any point in, in, in November of 2019. Which is which comes to the, the same thing that we're talking about. It's a failure of leadership. But no, but no, 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 but this, okay, I don't disagree with you in concept, but then this goes down to think about it. Theme park walk around characters are not Kathleen Kennedy's prerogative. She has zero control over that. She That's does. Disney she can say, no, you can't use that. She, no, no, she can't. No, no, no she can't. That's yeah, that is that's a Parks and Resorts decision, not a Lucasfilm decision. That's she a Lucasfilm she, decision. No, it's not. No, 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 no. This is where I disagree with you. The, the remember, Disney is very compartmentalized for a reason. That would be an argument between Parks and Resorts and the studio, and that's above her. That's above her pay grade. It is. That's the thing. Guess what? That is a executive suite decision that's above her pay grade. You have to trust me on that, Joe, and the audience. If they want, if Disney Parks and Resorts want a, a walk around character of Dinjarin and Grogu, it would be they could make the decision instantaneously. And if you doubt me about that, go look at the, the integration of Frozen into the theme parks post November 2013. All right, I'm gonna go look. I'll be back in a little bit. <laughs> when did Galaxy's Edge open? Uh, maybe to better get at what I'm I'm asking is um how was episode eight out by the time that Galaxy's Edge opened, or was that a between episode seven no, and episode Gal eight? No, Ga episode eight was out for a year. Episode eight was out by the time Galaxy's Edge was opened. Okay, so so then that brings me to the thought of you know the the sequel trilogy. Of course, the the backlash that episode eight episode eight gets, the controversy that episode eight gets, compared to the success that the or the word of mouth success that the Mandalorian is getting. Maybe they didn't want to mix something that was so well received with something that was clearly starting to falter. Because if that's all, if Galaxy's Edge, the theme park, is all sequel trilogy, if that's starting to falter, I get what you're saying, Zach. Maybe they can beef it up and and say, no, still come to our theme parks. You know, here's this stuff. It, by not putting it in there, Baby Yoda, Big Whiskey, not putting them in there. If they keep fleshing out this John Favreau Disney Plus show things, and that gets really popular, maybe just make that its own separate attraction. That's fine. I don't. I don't argue with that. My thing is that it takes absolutely no effort to carve out a little corner and just have the Mandalorian Baby Yoda uh, meet and greet. No, I mean, definitely. Well, well not wrong. They, yeah. I mean, they kind of did. They sort of did. I mean, okay. like, yeah, for like you know, for people who are really f hard following Galaxy's Edge out there, which there might be one of you in the audience, you are, you're screaming right now, Zach. But what about that the that the child uh, augmented reality photo op thing oh, that they Jesus. put in, in Galaxy's that Edge. Does, 
But that that's in count. Galaxy. It's in Galaxy's Edge, though. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. And you know how All easy right. it would be? Okay, if you want to believe any of this, I'll, I'll even take it back one step further than a meet and greet. I will take Rob's point, and I'll be like, okay, they don't want to mix the good and the bad. I will accept that. You know how many parades the there are? You know how many? No, we're not, I don't know about that. Um, if you want to take it one step further and not want to tarnish the good with the bad, then guess what? Why not put it in jar in one of the parades at, at Hollywood Studios or Disneyland? You know how easy – every single one of these Disney parades, there is some equivalent of a stormtrooper or some level of Disney iconography. Darth Vader, Boba Fett, whatever. How hard would it be? Even if you don't want to sit there, put a Mandalorian meet and greet into Galaxy's Edge. Have have the Dinjarin character as in the armor iconography walk in the parade. Do you think do you th- like and like I know, I know this is like probably too open ended of a question for like nearly the third hour, but like do you think <laughs> that there's do you think there's maybe a conception that like although I know these are both sort of like like the sequel trilogy and the Mandalorian are like approximately designed for the same age audience. Like they don't feel like it. And it's, it's really more a matter of cutting around things that would necessitate a, a harsher rating than it is the actual narrative of the stories. You know what I mean? I feel like even like, I feel like the sequel trilogy is geared at a younger audience than even rogue one is like narratively. And maybe, I, maybe I, 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 I agree with I agree with you on the sequel trilogy relative to Rogue One. When it comes to the Mandalorian, no, I think the Mandalorian has been watered down for even younger audience than the sequel trilogy is intended for. All right, well, I'm I was just completely destroyed, so I can. <laughs> <laughs> no, Chris, you know I love you. I just like I said, folks, the proof is in the pudding. I don't care how much that we like we we kind of argue about these things in a rhetorical sense. The fact that you do not have a Mandalorian walk around character in any of the parks, <laughs> I don't care where it might be, whether it be in the corner, like off to like the fringes, or it's in the middle of Galaxy's Edge watching Jin Jarn do a little jig underneath the giant one to one Millennium Falcon from The Force Awakens. It's the idea that if this show was truly that popular. It, again, go back to Frozen in 2013 with Elsa and Anna. You know how fast those characters is like they hired an actress that looked just like Elsa and Anna and they plugged them into the theme parks within no time. And considering that you don't even need a fraction of that for the Mandalorian, all you need is someone with a similar build to Pedro Pascal to wear that armor. And they haven't done that yet at any of the theme parks almost two years in leads me to believe that that show is not doing the same numbers or it's not just, doing the numbers they expected it to be. You Joel. just said it right there. Show. Not movie. Show. It doesn't well, matter. It doesn't matter. Well, the Mandalorian is considered the second coming of, Je- of, of Space Jesus. But still, Good it's there. a show. It's a oh. streaming show. But but that's the thing, though. Disney is solely... You're, think about you're it. You're missing Dis- a huge thing. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. With you, hold your joke for two seconds. No, no, I've actually got a statement, not a joke. You, you, oh, okay, okay, thanks. Excuse me, Zanger. Proceed. No, I was going to say, you're missing the biggest thing. Isn't, as I said way earlier in the episode, isn't um, Ahsoka now leading the Mandoverse going forward? <laughs> I, I don't know if it's Mandoverse. It's the Star Wars Disney Plus verse. 
I don't know. I really don't know. Ahsoka was in one episode of that show. So, but they've they've hinted that she's going to be the driving force of the show, and Din's going to drop jump. I mean, kind of step to the side since his story sort of told at the moment. I I don't know if that's the case. Mandalorian season three is coming right after the Book of Boba Fett. Ahsoka is God. The Ahsoka series is coming after Mandalorian season three. Calrissian Endor and Book of Boba Fett. So, if that is the case, evidence the 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 physical evidence of the timetable proves otherwise. But yeah, but even even that rumor going around though, I think should be taken into account because if that rumor going around points to like they're trying to get this hype around her and move it away from him, which that could point to your whole thing on. Well, I mean, if it isn't popular, why are they moving away from him then? I, 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 Zenger, I, I appreciate the assist, but I'm, I, I don't know. Genuinely, objectively, I do not know. That's okay. the thing too that's frustrating about Disney, is um. Whereas with Marvel, and, and for better or for worse, there is the, and this kind of goes back to Chris's argument of there's a plan. We know the trajectory of the Marvel Cinematic Universe for the next couple of months, and the pandemic kind of showed it. Even though things kind of got delayed for a year, everything kind of just got rolled back a few months. Yeah, because the, the second um, Black Widow was out, they started showing stuff for um, Archer, Archery Boy, Hawkeye. Green Arrow. Hawkeye. <laughs> I, I was correct with my statement. <laughs> but no, they're, they're showing stuff for him now because he's integral to the I love to you. Thanks for proving my point. Like, there's nothing less interesting spo- than the MCU, and, but that's and, fine. And spoilers for the post credit scene of Black Widow. Yeah. I mean, it's not even a spoiler. It's just you see a picture of Hawkeye. Congrats. You've seen a picture of Jeremy Renner with ter- with a terrible haircut. <laughs> you mean there's a different superhero character at the end credit sequence of a Marvel MCU film that is not the main protagonist of the film you're currently watching? Uh, she dead. that's the other thing it's can we go into this or you want to shy away from it go for it doesn't care go for it joe we're we're two and a half hours go for it this point who actually who actually got her body (laughs) wait do they need to get her body to bury i i don't think they need a body to bury do they i don't know if they would they just melted down a bunch of like plastic action figures and put it in the cast. Yeah, the ones that they didn't release for Avengers. That's what they did. Fun fact, folks. They didn't release uh, the Black Widow figures for Endgame. Uh, boycott Marvel. Hashtag misogyny. Hashtag. Uh, uh, not my Star Wars. Mis- hashtag not my Star Wars. Hashtag not my Black Widow. Hashtag not my MCU. Hashtag not my Kang the Conqueror. Um, insert any others at your discretion. Hashtag, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead, Joe, continue. No, I was just thinking it was like they, they had this whole elaborate thing at the end. and That was it. it. I, to introduce I, a character that we've already been introduced to on a TV show? Well, no, it's not that, but I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't watched what, it. What, the fact that Kramer shows up? No. <laughs> I mean, did I just pitch a better movie? Yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> That's the multiverse. Congratulations, Zenger. Zenger is now the the studio head for Marvel. Hey, I did it. 
Right. <laughs> you get your t-shirt in the mail. I like to imagine like the equivalent of that is like the ending of the Mandalorian season two, where Zanger just walks in, he sits on a giant throne. <laughs> he he shoots, he shoots a fat bitboard tuna. And he's just like, I am in charge now. <laughs> Isn't that like it's it's, a, it's so beautiful how like overhyped that ending is. It's like he killed like three people who were like so out of shape they couldn't defend themselves, and he sits in a throne. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he's also kind of out of shape, so like I guess it's kind <laughs> of I mean, balanced. No, no, but they it's were just all so out of shape. It's like Dad Bob. <laughs> he, like, he, he kills Gamorian guards who don't even look like Gamorian guards, and then like he literally just shoots a man who's sitting in a chair, defenseless, and he sits on a throne. Like but this is. Whoa, 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 Chris! Whoa, you forgot. Whoa. He's got Mulan strafing him. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Rewind real quick. Hold up. Are you saying people in chairs are defenseless? Because I think Charles Xavier had something to say about that. I mean, he had a he, Bib Fortuna was was armed with a stick at the time. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be careful with those people with the sticks, man. They can be dangerous. Yeah. Seated. Remember Cheer Imwe from Rogue One, the greatest Star Wars film we never talk about anymore. Yeah. We're not allowed to. For I'm one reasons. with the force, the force is with me. And he was Remember blind. that? And he was blind, too. And he could use a stick. Bid Fortuna wasn't even blind. Yeah, you know, but I'm, you know, just generally, <laughs> like, just generally, like, like, could we have our main character, like, end up, like, ripping off the ending of the Chronicles of Riddick? No, it has to be Boba Fett. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, like, why does everyone love that? Like, five companies are making statues of, like, this Boba Fett throne. It's like, my God, what is the matter with human beings? But I say that as a Star Wars collector, like that is a so, can, boring scene. Like, I, stop. You, you're right. Like, like, okay, Chris, I have to ask. And this is kind of for everybody who's seen the Mandalorian. What is the best Boba Fett scene from the Mandalorian season two? And I kind of want to go around the room, Chris. What is your favorite Boba Fett scene from the Mandalorian? Basically, everything where he's like. You can't say everything. You, no, no, you no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm giving parameters. Uh, the, all the parts where he is like actually flying the slave one in the same episode wherein he drops the seismic charge. Okay. Zenger, what is your favorite Boba Fett moment from Mandalorian season two? Uh, I want to say that that was a terrible pick for you. I'll show you how this is properly done. Um, of course, where he first puts on the armor, but the best line by him is, I think they'll recognize my face. All right, Rob, what is your That's how you, got, you do them. That's how you do it right there. You know Take I'm not going to get a, give a good answer, Zach. You have to go I don't to Joe care. first. <laughs> okay, Joe, what is your favorite Boba Fett moment from Mandalorian Season 2? I liked the fact where he sat there and he pulled out the armor. He's like, see, it belongs to me. It was my father's. I would like Interesting. To I'd like to restate my answer. <laughs> <laughs> see, I told you you did it wrong. <laughs> I would like to. I'd like to amend it to the part where he's like badly playing acoustic guitar in the behind-the-scenes footage. <laughs> that no, no, you're a jerk. You know what? You lose your vote from earlier. Um. All right, Rob. So Zinger your... wins. Rob, wait, no, Rob hasn't gone yet. Rob, my is your my favorite moment? is the is the post-credit scene because it meant the show was over because I really <laughs> did not enjoy watching it. <laughs> God damn it, Rob. I hate I, you I so knew much. That. I, I don't remember any up, up, scene. Up, up, Oh, <laughs> anger edits. I mean, the true, the, the true Edgelord answer is when he shows his chain code 
uh, to Din acknowledging <laughs> that the prequels actually happened. Okay. Well, the other thing, con- too, is it doesn't matter if it was actually Boba Fett. If it was any clone, they could sit there and say that. That's fair. That is fair. Which my theory, Hunter, is the actual Boba Fett in The Mandalorian. Okay, I, I wasn't expecting any of this, so like, like you guys kind of defeated my point prematurely. But I thought the again, my opinion on the best moment from Boba Fett is when he shoots down the like. We see him aiming at the one ship with the rangefinder, and the missile like goes off course and hits the other one and crashes into the other one. And like Din Djarin's like, "Nice shot." He's like, "What do you mean? I missed." And like, I think that just goes to like, whereas like. I, I to this day I'm kind of like I'm gonna be I'm so morbidly excited about the book of Boba Fett because like I think I've gone on record numerous times saying that the only reason why the Mandalorian exists is because Disney realized like oh we can't make a Boba Fett like movie because there's no good way to do this without ruining the character and yet now like three years later we're like yup we're just gonna do it we're gonna ruin this character once and for all because nothing matters like Rob says nothing matters um and yet, somehow we're here. Like, I don't know. Like I said, like, I, I kind of, like, I guess this is might be the final question to kind of punctuate this conversation with. What I love is. How final question is said. Anyways, uh, everyone take note of Can where. I Can how I much finish? is left in the episode on your podcast catcher thing? Okay. No, but like, this is the final question. And like, eventually, I, 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 I hope for the uh, intent of just ending this conversation. Um, what is the trajectory of Star Wars going forward? And I kind of want everyone to be kind of like like is abridged with this comment as much as, as you can. I don't expect a lengthy conversation or a lengthy like reason. Um, like like what do you expect from Star Wars in the next two years? I guess that's the question. Or maybe three. You know what? I'll give it an extra year, three years, because I think it was Rogue Squadrons what twenty twenty three, if if I remember correctly. Um, like, like, wh- what do you, what do you expect, or what do you even want from Star Wars in the next couple of years? I, I don't know what to expect, just because of my, um, my lack of knowledge compared to you guys. But what I want, I think, goes back to what I said at the start and what Chris was hinting at. I don't really want them to kill the Force, smash the Force. I would like them to do something to change the dynamic of the Force, something interesting with this thing we've been stuck with for you know fifty years now, almost fifty years. All right, uh, Mr. Yazo. Well, I think they're going to go into a multiverse approach where they're going to sit there and maybe do some what ifs and then bring back some of the expanded universe. Also, you're going to see in toy stores, they're going to start loading them up with more merchandising because that's one of the failed opportunities they have. They're going to go back to Lucas era merchandising. Oh, he's being they're gonna have character. They're going to have characters for everybody. doesn't matter how long they've been on the TV screen or on the big screen. I, Joe, I, I hope. I like I that. Hope. We need more portals. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I hope at least part of what Joe said was right because, like, I, you know, how much it kills me that, like, I walk like every single day as somebody who works near a Target, and I walk, you know, and a Walmart. I literally every chance I go to either one, I walk immediately. Like, even my girlfriend knows this. Like, no matter what we're going there for, the first rule of thumb is always like beeline for the Star Wars section. And you know how many times I've been disappointed. You know how many times? Like, I just want to walk it every time, except for that one time I found, like, a uh, elite squad, like, clone trooper, and I got a little excited. Um, with that being said, just real quick, merchandise-wise, I was able to get two 
Captain Fordos and two blow like two blue Arc Troopers. So um, I have no idea if Walmart Walmart will cancel those pre-orders on me come March 2022. Um, I'm excited, and I also got two of the uh, Crosshair uh, Imperial costume Black Series. Um, but anyway, though, uh, going but to go ahead. on that note, though, Zach, you know, I used to be an assistant manager for KB Toys. In you, 1999, and you, we had the midnight release for episode one, and we had half the store with toys, action figures, accessories, everything that you wanted for that movie was out. And there has been nothing like that. Well, probably because there's no toy stores left in America anymore. Well, you have to rely on Target and you have to rely on Walmart. But I don't know if there's no outlets or what, but there has been hardly any merchandising for Star Wars. Because I go into the same, I go into Target and I went into Walmart and it's like half the aisle is empty with with merchandise. And I would never see that when I was working at a toy store. At some point, Joe, can we please have a conversation where it's you, Chris, and I, and we just talk about like confessions of a KB toy like manager? Sure. Can I made a lot of money. with GameStop for me? I, I made a lot of money one time. No. Some guy came up to me, and he it was when they were re- releasing the uh, the old Power of the Force, and the guy's like, hey, uh, can you let me know when you get AT-ATs in? And I made like 100 bucks off the guy because I, I queued him in when we were getting a shipment of it. Joyous. I have many <laughs> questions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, who else hasn't answered this question? It's late, and I'm delirious. I, I got an answer. Go the down, question? Go. <laughs> where do you see star wars uh in two three years from now how many times how many tickets have you pre-ordered for uh patty jenkins rogue squadron is my question for you Sanger. okay so my thing is this I'm, I'm gonna run everyone through something much like dogecoin star wars had a peak back around and actually this is ironic uh may the 4th dogecoin had a peak of 65 cents it dropped down on may the 5th to 58 cents Rised up to 68 cents and now it's at 21 cents. There's only one way Star Wars can go and that's up, right? Just like Dogecoin. Everyone's still got their Doge, right? Everyone's still Hold. Doge. Hold. Okay. Hold. I'm still holding it. I'm pretty sure I lost a substantial amount of money back in May, but I'm holding. <laughs> only go up, right? Much like Star Wars. Funny story about Finger, that. Like, I, actually, I actually invested in Doge at like point zero zero two five and people thought i was absolutely nuts point zero zero two five yeah quarter of a penny oh that must have been back in like 2021 like early 2021 in the the distant distant past of early 2021 2019 whoa whoa I don't even have it on the... Oh, wait. Now I see where it is on the scale. Okay, I had to go back. I had to go back in time. Oh, there was a peak back in uh, 2017 there for a minute. Okay, this this is not relevant to the conversation. Um, okay, who else hasn't answered this question yet? Rob, have you answered this question? Yeah, I wanted the uh, kill the force or do something interesting with the dynamic. Okay. so, so You're wrong. Answer, so, Rob, how many tickets have you pre-ordered to Packy, Patty Jenkins's uh, Rogue Squadron? Oh God, zero. <laughs> <laughs> the correct answer is not enough. <laughs> is there a number less than zero? 
<laughs> Rob's like, I am taking people's tickets who have already pre-ordered and returning it for them. Rob's like, no, I am doing you a service. This is an intervention. Um, I think it's just oh, Chris boy. as the one we haven't heard from. Chris, what do you? Oh God, Chris is the answer. Just give you like three hours long. Chris, what do you oh, expect from Star I'll Wars resist. in the next couple of years? You'll resist. I'll resist. Yeah, I think here, here, the 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 important thing that um, the one we don't have the data on Mandalorian, but it's. I, as much as I hate to admit it, it's one of those things where it's out there in the sort of fan community. It's no one, no one passionately hates it. And that's a step forward for these guys. So they're just like, wow, no one's passionately hating it. Some people are ho-hum about it. No one thinks it's the worst thing we've ever done. This is improvement. So I feel like the structure of those next few series are going to be very sort of similar to that where nothing sort of super substantial narratively happens and it's just a lot of sort of we're caught up in the the ins and outs of some random characters experience and it's not anything sort of interesting to like the core progression of like the political narrative of the galaxy i think it's going to be a lot like mandalorian because it's safe and it's not bothering anyone and um that's a shame they should take more chances, and I have not pre-ordered any tickets for Rogue Squadron because I don't believe that that film should have that name because I I firmly think that almost no one working on it has played Rogue Squadron. That is that a true is statement. <laughs> I don't even think Patty Jenkins knows what a video game is. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I'd like to add to my statement. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs> um, I'm... I'm also going to say that I think that what you're going to see is you're going to see them start progressing at a really big clip with these Disney Plus shows, and then they're going to have major events that they're going to put as movies as a way to drum up the subscribership for the shows and Interesting. and to get movie box office. That's where you're going to. That's where I think they're they're playing. That's a really interesting point. Go like the the anime route type of thing, where when yeah, when a story your... arc comes to an end, you get everybody to go to the box office. Yep, exactly. And I think that's what they're going to play at, especially once they they started doing Star Wars Visions, which is an anime. Sure. Can we, sure. Can we please? Okay. Last week we talked about the idea of doing like a tie-in novelization. I did find that like for pre-order on Target.com, and I couldn't stop laughing. Rob, what's your idea of doing a uh, novelization of an anime? What's, what's your opinion on that? These days, I don't think a novelization is a, a profitable or good idea at all. <laughs> wait, wait, well, wait. How do subtitles work for an anime in, in, in book form? Like, how does I, that work? That's a great question. <laughs> John Justice. Someone get John Justice. He can answer this question. <laughs> how do subtitles work for an anime adaptation to book? I must from understand. Right from right to left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That's delightful. I think All that right. is officially the dumbest thing I've ever said. <laughs> I love it. I love it I, so I think my, my, my final question, which is very quick because I don't have everybody's opinions, um, totally, totally back to the video, um, just oh, positive, negative, or neutral, what do you think of the host of Midnight Edge's voice? I am highly negative. I really dislike the way he sounds. I just I want to know what everybody else thinks. That, I, I'm so glad you asked. I've been wanting to say this, but I couldn't find a place to say it. I think Midnight's Edge sounds like he was pre-recorded 
completely separately from the guy he's talking to. Like the way his whole cadence and everything sounds like he's literally not engaging in a human conversation with the other person in the video. I would say that, and I think it's voice modulated. It sounds so bad that there's something going on there in the sound that's, processing. That's because I his. I ask him to if he wanted to play a game. Yeah, well, his, his, <laughs> it's, it's it's because his opinions are so edgy, pun heavily intended, that his identity, he's just not safe if he reveals his true identity. <laughs> okay. Much like okay. any of us on this podcast. Okay, as somebody who likes, like, like Andre's voice on Midnight's Edge, I, 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 okay, your opinions aren't exclusive, because I can still remember back in, like, my Rebel Scum Forum era days from, like, five-plus years ago, where I would post their videos, and people would just, like, like comment, like, like and just curse at me for like this guy's voice sucks and i'd be like i kind of like his voice so uh your opinions aren't exclusive but uh i disagree with them i okay i have an opinion on his voice i mean i th i truly believe the man has a voice for print media and by that i don't mean reading books on like audible or something uh use code zingness at checkout um but um <laughs> but i mean a a a voice for like to be read in a room yes. yeah, by itself yeah. off on its own. <laughs> All right. Is he like I, Stephen I, Hawking? I, huh? Is he like Stephen Hawking, this guy? <laughs> I no, no, no. I mean, I'm just saying, I I mean, pe people tell people, you know, oh, you have a face for radio. This guy is a voice for newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> That's not nice, you guys. Like I want no, on record. It's, it's, I do not it's not I do fault. not condone any of this. It's not his fault he sounds like a speaking spell. <laughs> I do not. Or possibly is a sentient speaking spell. Prove us wrong. I do not condone any Where's of Russ? I find it. Russ. <laughs> you know what? I do not condone any of this. I'm going to find a speaking spell and I'm going to freaking pants it. <laughs> Russ, <laughs> Russ would not participate in the character spell. assassination. All right. Oh my god! All right, is there anything else about Star Wars nonsense, uh, Chris? Do you like how much like, has your hate, hatred of the, the Bad Batch gone up or down? Or is it about the same as usual? The last two episodes did not offend me as much as some prior. All right, Yay. we'll take we'll take that as a win momentarily. Sure, um, I keep watching this for relevance to discussion we're doing because um, I hold on wait I looked this up. I have eight minutes left of. Episode four. I think you're going to be good with two minutes left on <laughs> episode four. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it, there, there was an action scene going on. There was a lot of intense stuff. And I just turned it off because I was like, I got other stuff to do. I don't know what it was. I think it's one of those shows where you're going to be good if you just watch the last episode. Neat. Yeah, I have been watching the um, the things where it's like, oh, we're going to show you all the um, Easter eggs. So I feel I'm watching the show through that. I think you're watching the best parts. Then. <laughs> <laughs> you are a winner. You get your T-shirt in the mail. Sweet. Singer has so many T-shirts right now. Um, all right. All right. Anything else from you, Rob, Chris, Joe? Yeah, that was my final question about that dude's voice. I am complete. We'll make note of that, Chris. Anything else, Joe? I am fine. 
You are fine. All right. So concludes this episode of Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Type of Knights of Vader into Facebook, and you will find us there waiting for you. Look for us on Instagram. Thanks to Chris at KOV Podcast, which I hope Chris will clearly like post some pictures of like the UCS gunship and some uh, Clone Wars figures just for giggles. Um, thank you to everybody who's emailed us at kovpodcast at gmail.com because I've seen some new emails in there. I promise I will, uh, if I don't respond to you, I will address you on the next episode. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anspiriori Complex for finding our theme song. You're welcome. Check out the show notes to hear more from them. All right. If you're interested in some more Robin Zach shenanigans, Come to the Cinemodis podcast where you can hear Rob and I talk about... Is this getting a quick turnaround? Is this coming out this week? It should come out tomorrow morning. Oh, then we are doing good old 2001 Tim Burton's The Planet of the Apes. What a low point for Cinemodis that is. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, what was your opinion on that film from last week? Uh, are we talking about Jurassic or are we talking about Planet of the Apes? Both. I say... <laughs> Both. I say I say I say a solid thumbs up on both. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Simos smiles upon me. Oh my god, the fact that you know off the top of your head is very disconcerting to me. I find that very unnerving and maybe the most troubling thing you've ever said to me, Chris. Um, all right, when you are not listening to us on the Knights of Air podcast, where do people find you, Rob? Oh, just like Zach said, over at uh, Cinemodities, definitely go check it out. Um, it's it's good fun. We have a huge backlog of episodes, and even if you don't like uh, dinosaurs or monkeys, there's other fun things in there for you. And, of course, like Zach already mentioned, head on over to Spotify or Bandcamp or anywhere where music is released for some N Inspiriority Complex or my other band, which has some stuff out, The Immortal Lansberries. Thanks for having me, Zach. This was a good, deep discussion. I'm, I'm glad that uh, we got past the, uh, the the Lego talk at the start where I could actually give an opinion. But thanks for having me, as always. <laughs> All right. Zanger, when you're not forcing Ellie to watch Avengers Endgame after uh, two-plus years, what are you up to on Zangness in the uh, non-existent Zang Wars uh, subset podcast? Um, let me see here. Trying to force Ellie to watch uh, Far From Home, so I mean, that's point where with that. Uh, um, no, we will be. Um, we covered our favorite games over the past six months, uh, and probably next week's episode will be a discussion on Lost War- Jurassic. Sorry, Jurassic World. Woo! And um, there will be some familiar voices on there. May not be Ellie's. I'm calling that now. She's going to rage quit. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I look forward to it. All right. <laughs> Chris Porteous, when you are not going to the first toy show open up in Canada post pandemic, what are you up to? You can find me at the Chris Porteous on Instagram. And if you're still listening to this and haven't followed the new Knights of Vader Instagram, I'm going to doubly remind you to go and do that because it's fun when a Instagram for a podcast used to exist, but then stopped existing for some sort of reason and now exists again. So go follow it. Fun fact, folks. The reason why it doesn't exist is emotional trauma. <clears throat> anyway, though, I was trying to expect to laugh from that. But anyway... Joe Yazo, when you are not on this podcast, what are you doing? Well, you could 
You could find my store on eBay at Mui's Vault 12601. Sell some vintage wares and uh, some collectibles. So if you're interested in that Star Wars or comic book variety, you can see them there. Yes, it's like the eBay version of what Chris was just at earlier this weekend. Got some vintage Star Wars comics if anyone's looking for them. Marvel. It's all Jackson comics. That's all it is. He didn't want to tell you that on the recording, but it's just Jackson comics. Ah. <laughs> all righty, folks. Good night. Uh, yeah. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, may the force be with you. And just because Russ isn't here, remember Alderaan down with the Death Star. Empire. One, two. Oh, three. is it the Empire? Yeah. Okay. What, what, which I, Death I, Star? I, yeah, which Death <laughs> the Star? The Lego one. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's not the scale. <laughs> <laughs>